I believe that we are starting right now. Everybody, welcome, welcome, and welcome. Welcome to another episode of the BTR stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov. It is a great honor to be here with the amazing genius of animation, ultra creative, creating art, animation, comics. Nina Paley. I've known Nina since 2004 back in the New York animation community, and it is such a great honor to have Nina join us here. And we also have Chad Kaczynski for the first time as well. And joining us, of course, is the great Giovanni Panicietti. Guys, all the new people who are watching this right now, don't forget to subscribe. Go to our uh, go to our channel, subscribe. We are going to have an episode tomorrow, by the way, with... No, not tomorrow. Thursday with Aiden Paladin. So, uh, two great, wonderful human beings in a row. I am so honored to be here with you guys. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash break the rules, become a patron today, and you are going to get the following. You are going to get $20 tier, gives you my dad's beautiful uh, wooden magnets. $30 reward gives you Giovanni's amazing prints. You can see them in action right here. $50 gives you a custom wooden magnet from my father, whatever you want. So there we go. And we also have Remus uh, joining us as well. But let's start with Nina. Nina, you have been a gigantic inspiration to me, as I'm sure you have been to so many people all around the world. Like I said, when the internet archaeologists are going to dig things up, there's going to be so much noise that they find, but then they're going to find your work, and I think it's going to stand the test of time. It, it really is timeless. So the first question that I wanted to start out with, I guess it's just like a regular question for an interview but what got you into animation in the first place oh uh wow when i was growing up on public television there was a show of european cartoons i don't remember what it was called uh but i was exposed to good cartoons that way also they showed on commercial on a commercial station yellow submarine every year and i mean you know kids were exposed to animation then there was bugs bunny and and whatnot on tv but i did like the the weird european stuff and i really liked yellow submarine when i was about 13 a neighbor lent me his super 8 camera and i was able to make my own animation with that I did that for a couple years until it was very clear that I hit a wall and living in a college town in central Illinois with no access to film resources, there was no place to take it. So at that point I focused more on comics. I was about 15, but I'd always drawn. I always loved doing visual arts. And I just thought of animation as an aspect of that. So when I moved to San Francisco, I was living in San Francisco. Once again, I borrowed a friend's Super 8 camera. This was in 1998. And I just picked up where I left off when I was 13 or 14 and started with the clay things on the table with the Super 8. And this band Nick Phelps and the Sprocket Ensemble that composed and played live music to animation. Uh, I gave them this little Super 8 film that I made and they showed it and had a live performance with it. And it was incredibly fun and people loved it. And uh, that was the sort of positive reinforcement that motivated me to do another and move to 16 millimeter film. And 
I never shot on 35 millimeter film, but I drew and scratched directly on 35 millimeter film because of that. Uh, just by accident, I met somebody that was in the IMAX film in the IMAX film organization. And he suggested I try to draw on IMAX film. So I did that. I actually schmoozed my, my schmoozer off and flew to LA a bunch of times to get IMAX junk stock. I made a movie called Panorama, which is a cameraless IMAX movie. As far as I know, it was the only totally cameraless IMAX movie anybody made. Meaning that there were, it was made via a contact print. Nobody knows what film is anymore, but this was very important back then. Uh, and then somebody uh, embezzled a copy of Flash from his workplace and I started using Flash and it's been mostly digital tools since then. I love Flash. Flash has been so amazing for uh, me as well, uh, growing up in the uh, New York animation community with yourself, Signa Bauman, who gave me my first job, actually. So she gave Ooh. me the job of painting cells back in 2004. And uh, Bill Plimpton as well, you know, he's such, a, such an amazing dude. And he's been doing this longer than anyone I know. And uh, just the idea that you by yourself can create all this work of art and have it be seen by people go into all these film festivals like your work has been around so many different festivals and uh Annecy obviously Cedar sings the blues at one there for best in show and uh like what was the experience that you got from the people at the festivals versus when you started putting your work online and seeing the reactions of the people there uh so Cita was a festival darling um there wasn't really anything like it at the time and it was pretty clear to me that individuals could make feature films, feature animated films, but I was one of the first people to actually do it. So that impressed people. I don't think it's as impressive now, but back then it was. Uh, it actually was on film. I mean, this you had to put it on 35 millimeter film as a, as a projection format. And Flash was vector-based, so you could actually export high enough resolution to do that. Uh, yeah, it did, it did well at festivals. And the reason that I primarily distributed it online, that's a really long story. In 2008, movie distributors, the movie distribution business changed. It was actually facing a crisis uh, where, where there had been tons of money, suddenly there was not tons of money and there was like practically no money. So the previous year, there were all these stories of festival darlings that got these, you know, $10 million distribution deals or something, or $20 million, you know, huge distribution, not huge, but for an indie, huge. And by the time I reached the festivals, it was like, well, $10,000, which, um, you know, was not enough to pay my rent in New York for one year. So however low the production costs of Sita Sings the Blues were, they were more than $10,000 just from rent. Uh, so, you know, there was no reason for me to sign with a distributor when they were offering so little money. And I considered what you actually got with a distributor. Meanwhile, I was using these songs, which uh, I had no illusions about. I never believed they were in the public domain. I knew that they should be in the public domain, but I also knew that they weren't. And from the start of making Sita Sings the Blues, I worked with the Intellectual Property Law Clinic of American University. Um, and 
the student lawyers there found the provenance of the songs. And if you go to sitasingsthebluescom you can see this chart of which corporations own which percent of which song and which territory. That's really absurd. And uh, it's by Annette Hanshaw. Uh, how do you say her name? Hanshaw. Annette Hanshaw. Hanshaw. Yeah, yes. old songs by Annette Hanshaw. And, uh, so, and some, something there is free and something is copyrighted, right? So her singing, is that free and the lyrics are copyrighted? Or how exactly does that work? Her, her voice? Um, <sighs> yeah, so there, there's a number of rights associated with songs, including the master rights, which are the recordings themselves, and then various types of publishing rights, including mechanical and sync. Uh, so the issue was with the publishing rights. It was not with her renditions of these songs. Um, that is a long story. Uh, in spite of the master right, I wouldn't say the master rights are free. They haven't been declared free. It's just that nobody really owns them. Like, like to assert owner, somebody would have to really uh, do a lot of legal effort and probably it's, it's a long story. They've, they've presumably fallen. The problem is when things fall or should fall into the public domain, they're still not free in our copyright regime. We just, we don't really respect public domain in this country and people don't really quite comprehend it. There's this concept of orphaned works so we might say that that the master rights are perhaps orphaned, but they're not. They're not orphaned either. Um, it's just that they they weren't renewed. But it was in the state of New York, and this is like varies from state to state, and blah blah blah. blah. So music publishers don't want to deal with any gray area whatsoever, which is why no Annette Hanshaw records were available in the United States, and I got mm. all of my recordings from record collectors. And also a, I believe there was a, a CD from Canada at the time that I used, but American CD producers just, they just don't want to deal with that. I have no problem dealing with that. I'm like, no, nobody owns this. They're, <laughs> they're public domain, but that's still different than free, right? Like something that is established free. Yeah. That's more of a thing. But anyway, that and wasn't the issue. The master rights weren't the issue. It was all the publishing rights. It was all the sync rights. Uh, we can go into the minutiae of, copyright law but suffice to say it's stupid and i've done this talk copyright is brain damage and clearly i was radicalized by my experience uh navigating the copyright industry and eventually all these people saying yes it's difficult but it protects your work too really made me start to think does it protect my work what does protecting my work actually mean what does any of this mean how have i benefited from copyright let me look at my, you know, at the time, 20 year career in the copyright industries. Let me look at my archive of comics. Are these benefiting from copyright? And it took a really long time, but I was like, oh my God, no, <laughs> I'm not. I've believed I've benefited from copyright this whole time, but all it's done is make my work obscure. Mm. All it's done is prevent people from using my comics and uh, yeah, it was, but it took a long time. It took a lot of like chipping away and struggle. And I was a defender of copyright until I had this very difficult year. And I just woke up one day and I just like, it was like, 
I don't need this. This is harming me. It's not helping me. So. Well, we have a comment over here from Super Iron Bob, who, by the way, I made a mistake last time. It was not Buff that became a $50 patron to BTR. It was Super Iron Bob. Super Iron Bob, you are the real MVP. You are giving us $50 patronage, and I appreciate that so much. $50 patrons get, by the way, guys, if you don't know, they get a completely custom magnet wooden magnet beautiful wooden magnet that my father alexander polyakov created and uh anyway super iron bob says copyright law is a bloody mess and decided by litigation and super super expensive thus and then info warlock says as culture becomes more infantilized media becomes more cartoonified well we're gonna get into that and then if a warlock uh <laughs> oh, we boy. need a new version of copyright law where everyone can use anything but creators are still compensated accordingly so uh what do you think of that never happen That'll... <laughs> you can't, we don't we don't need copyright law i'm a i'm a copyright abolitionist and i would like to go away that's totally unrealistic i know that's not going to happen nonetheless uh i would you know if i'm going to say what i want whether i can get it or not it's like i would like there to be no copyright at all because culture isn't property it's just not you cannot try to turn it into property it's not its nature so this is uh, this is similar to an argument I uh, heard before, uh, more from let's say an ANCAP point of view when we had Jeffrey Tucker on, who was talking about how when a work can be copied over and over again, it's not a tangible good anymore. Like it's uh, it's not going to cost right. you anything uh, for somebody else to make a copy of it. Right. So uh, I can definitely I can definitely see your point there. I mean, there are people who treat it so, like, I know the Japanese, I mean, not to put like a whole, you know, like a sweeping statement here, but I have noticed that Japanese creators, like Japanese creators on Twitter, if you use any image, like even like slightly modified or whatever, they consider it to be a great affront to them that somebody else would be using their image for something and profiting or benefiting in some way from exposing this image. Even in the case where you would say that, hey, this was created by so-and-so, go check out their stuff. Because I had an experience like that when this uh, Japanese creator, when I posted like that image, like I just made it bigger and put it put like a uh, on the uh, thumbnail, then, uh, you know, she or he or whatever, they um, went to YouTube and they put a strike on the channel, a copyright oh strike God. for that one thumbnail, which and I mean, thankfully, they rescinded it, but it resulted in like a, of the possibility of like for 90 days not being able to stream. And yeah, you know, I, wouldn't, like, I wouldn't associate that with Japanese. That's just a, that's a, there are copyright zealots in all countries. I mean, obviously in the United States. Like, but, but, in but in terms of the relationship of the creators to, because this was for a VTuber and Japanese VTubers are extremely popular amongst their audience. And she even said like, this is something that I made for this VTuber and only this VTuber is allowed to use it. So there may be culturally speaking, maybe some kind of a, I don't know, just something having to do with uh, this is something that I specifically made for this person. It's almost like some kind of a soul relationship. Like, But I American artists have that too. It's like, it's like there's, you know, there's fundamentalist Christians all over the world, right? Like there's, True. I mean, this is, this is copyright as a religion. Uh, people believe that it's like some moral thing. They believe actually that their, their soul is, is harmed when people copy their work or that the soul of their work is harmed or that, you know, there's some like horrible harm that happens when people make copies. And that, that sort of 
ideology is is very common in the US, it's common in Europe, it's common all over the place. Resistors to it are, there aren't that many, but um, I, you know, there are lots of them, not lots of them, but you know, they they seem to be fairly, fairly mm. distributed throughout the world. We're all, we're all pretty rare. I mean, the US, it's like, this, this shit was invented in the US. Americans love this and they love going on moral tirades about copyright. Although they moved, on, they moved on to mostly to moral tirades about other things. Well, we're going to get into that. And first, we have another <laughs> comment from uh, InfoWarlock. Japan is extremely protective, not just about intellectual property, but more specifically about non-Japanese profiting from Japanese products. Mm. It's protectionist policy in general. Love, you have a point. You can't find most Japanese art on apps like Spotify from before the 90s. That's interesting. I mean, we have like on YouTube, I am a big fan of a lot of the city pop. I don't know, Nina, if you've heard of okay. uh, Plastic Love. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, Gio. But like all of this oh. stuff that came out in the 1980s when the Japanese were still riding their high from good from the good economy and it showed in the music, you know, like it was really, really well done pop music. That is nothing like what I've seen. You know, it's not Britney Spears. And people even say like Utada Hikaru is like the Japanese Britney Spears. Bullshit. Utada Hikaru is way better. Anyway, anyway. I was just, just... No, I was not. I was not even following American pop music. I'm. A, I do not Good. have my finger on the pulse of. Well, you have a great, well, you have great musical taste. Like you've uh, in um, in all your movies. I mean, not just in the Henshaw, but in uh, Seder Masochism. The tracks that you ended up picking is like, Mwah. it's like, thank you. It's, it's really amazing. So, Geo. And everybody else, by the way, if you have any questions about uh, copyright before we uh, before we move on, uh, let me know. Any any thoughts you guys may, uh, may have right now? Well, uh, don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> and Patreon, Patreon, yes. Patreon. <laughs> no, it's difficult nowadays. It just I don't know. I, I guess it's difficult because like you you had um, in the 2010s, you had like the Tumblr culture of like recolors and all that. And it's like very cheap and lazy, obviously. Like I, I do quite a bit of hate on those people, but it is true. I mean, copyright's almost impossible to enforce nowadays. Yes. And yes. It's, it's just the nature of digital technology. I mean, I feel like every artist, what, there's always, uh, there's a problem nowadays. And I cover this in my recent podcast with Matthew about this artist that blew up on Twitter doing these like ghastly still lives uh but never i won't go into it but it's almost like artists nowadays have this expectation that because you yourself are a brand that you have to control not just the the sort of marketing of art but also like the actual response to art itself whereas back in the day i think people had a universal recognition that well at least it you know at least by the 70s people realized with the death of the artist that you don't have control once you release a work into the world. You really don't have a control, not just to the way it's taken in or the way it's consumed or the way it's remixed, but also the way that people respond to it. And I feel that a huge part of this sort of like fake instrumentalized culture war is because people have this impression nowadays for some stupid reason that you have a control over how people respond to your work as an artist. And I don't know, I feel that, and that extends to copyright, but also extends to the more intangible, like culture camp sort of stuff. That's the big problem. I think when people get a response that is negative or unintentional, it seems nowadays people like younger artists have this expectation that, oh my God, how dare you? It's like, 
like mm-hmm. this this girl that we were responding to on Twitter, this artist, and she was like, I can't believe it. These people are critiquing my. It's like, well, what are you gonna do, right? Like that's, and I feel it's the same way with copyright. Is that once you release a work into the world, there's always that expectation that people are going to take it up in different ways, and you really don't have control over that, you know. So, well, we yeah. have a comment. Oh, I want I want to talk about that though, because you yeah, okay. you just hit on like a really central thing mm. so me being a couple decades older than y'all uh as <laughs> my look like it boomer. as my generation like boomer posting is uh, i'm not a i'm not a boomer i'm uh oh that's like no a, we call yeah, boomers everybody generation. we call Anyone boomers everybody over, over like yeah exactly i'm a boomer you're a boomer oh my god you're so old um so I'm actually in the middle of writing something about permission culture. Have you heard that phrase, permission culture? Oh God. <laughs> Have you heard the it phrase? Sounds, it sounds alienating, but yes, I think I've heard of the- Right, so oh. the, thing with, the thing with copyright, uh, so when the, when the web was new in the 90s, it was this glorious frontier of freedom. <laughs> and it's not that now, <laughs> right? Like, and uh, so another aspect of this is, you know, you know that um, my, uh, my generation thinks your generation is extremely fragile, that, that it is full mm. of people that, um, you know, constantly require external validation and, mm-hmm. you know, demand it and experience narcissistic injury. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that my generation raised them and my generation sucks. <laughs> well, that, that's the problem I feel with millennials is that we were given both expectation and infantilization, which is a deadly mix of terrible neurosis and hence why we have whole generations of uh, young men and young women who are, uh, they have parasocial relationships to uh, various influencers and uh, yeah, so that. We'll yeah. Make so, it what you will. Um, so your generation grew up on the internet and norms of the internet, you know, it began as this really free thing. And there was immediately a battle between the copyright industries and the users of the internet, you know, the the free internet versus the copyright industries. And things got more and more enclosed, rules got more and more draconian, the internet, you know, was supposed to root around censorship, but uh, they built enough things on top of the internet, these walled gardens, that that didn't matter. Uh, so what we have now does not feel like a free internet. The architecture underneath it, yes, is technically free, but uh, social media has, has dominated internet mm. discourse rather than free platforms. Well, people well, blame even... normies a lot. Like, pl- people blame, uh, like, he, they imagine, which I think is partially true, that originally there, ha- there was a certain barrier to entry with the internet. Like, you yes. had to know something about computers, you had to know how to hook all this stuff up, but now when everybody... And you couldn't be, and, and you couldn't be a woman, that was a big important point. <laughs> you know what? Well. It's, now. it's worse now for women than it was when things were free. And the reason is that these social media, these walled garden social media sites 
um, they kick off women all the time. And most people don't even know this because the women that they're kicking off, you can't hear from them. <laughs> it's like, you don't even know they're being kicked off because they're being well, they're, silenced. Yeah, they're, they're male presenting. No, <laughs> yeah, well, no, but it's, I no, I feel that, yeah, that's a good point because the early internet um, was this, we talk about, again, another topic we talk about a lot in the show, the early internet being a place of a million different islands and you had to really work to find content and people had an expectation that this was a place of uh, true, not just, I, I wouldn't say freedom, but an exploration of what is outside of the norm. But as the corporations rolled in and discovered that life is being totally caught up by hyper-reality, then you have a situation nowadays where I think, what do they say? 90% of the surface web is controlled by like five different, like Google plus four other social media sites. Well, so Google plus the, is gone. Yeah. No, no, but Google, I mean, yeah. Oh, Google, Google plus, plus other, right. Yeah. Well, Google <laughs> is pretty much the internet to most people. Like it's Google, right. Facebook, uh, right. right. Google, Facebook, Instagram, which, which is owned by Facebook, uh, Twitter, I don't know. Well, Twitter, we like to think that we're so important on Twitter, but really it's, it's like TikTok and, and Instagram, but Twitter, no, yeah. Twitter is a disaster. But anyway, what, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm building up a, an argument here. Uh, so this battle went on, it was a cultural battle and the copyright industries and its supporters made all these moral arguments for copyright and how like incredibly important it is. When I started freeing my work, people, remember one person said that I was a danger to artists um, yeah, but ironically art. enough, these are the same record companies and content creators that don't really care about. No, I know they don't care about the artists anyway, themselves. But so, anyway, the, uh, these and and this rhetoric was always used um, that asking for permission is respect. That and so I freed my work. I wonder where Lev went. Yeah, Lev I'm here. I'm still here. Okay. Oh, okay, so don't worry about it. Bad. I'm adjusting right. my camera. Everything's okay. fine. Everything he, he is completely went, fine. He went to the he went to the shadow realm, and so now he's a disembodied. <laughs> okay. Uh, now I can hear his voice. That's all. The astral, yeah, astral plane. Um. And by the way, modern hermeticist. Yes, I, I will. You used my Shrek fedora painting. I'm going to sue your ass, and uh, <laughs> your your hermetic your hermetic uh, temple will be mine. So don't worry about. It. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. So <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Nina. Uh. <laughs> Right. So all these arguments were made and there was there was a, a cultural battle around copyright, like around the validity of copyright. And I was a demon. I mean, I was despised when I freed Sita Sings the Blues. People were furious. Uh, anyway, so this whole generation, your generation raised on that. What the hell? <laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. Keep <laughs> going. That's awesome. This is a this is a bit of a performance art right here. Next to As, Schneed. He's uh, taking my identity. He's identifying <laughs> as me. But um, yeah, but then Newgrounds came along and then that was I'm it, identifying yeah, as it was a disco inevitable. ball. Anyway, uh so this whole generation was raised, um, was sort of manipulated in in order to defend the idea of copyright and defend the idea of needing permission, right? Like a whole generation was trained to ask permission for everything, to believe that they did not have agency around <laughs> culture and, and that any sort of song or image or anything 
that they were exposed to and that they had internalized and that they were trying to interact with, the power to do that belonged to somebody else. So I, I describe that as like the contents of your own head. Once you've taken in a work, that's in your head and your head belongs to you. But this entire generation believes that what is in their own head actually rightfully belongs to somebody else. It rightfully belongs to copyright holders. And so they ask permission for everything and they do not have the confidence uh, or the sense of working with the culture that they've been raised in. So very much related to that is this response uh, to identities, right? People want your perception of them. They want to control your perception of them and they feel entitled to that. And like your perception of another person, that's in your head, right? Like, like- That doesn't um, belong to someone else. Right, so Gio, like, I perceive you as a man. Right. Uh, regardless of how you identify- And that's that. that. And that picture of you is in my head and you can identify as much as you want. And that's fine. It's like, you're entitled to identify as, an attack hell i mean i'm identifying as a disco ball i do kind well, of like you know what's funny I, re I remember someone wrote this essay about uh why they chose the attack helicopter meme is because it was some kind of like patriarchal uh it's a violent act of like su suppressing trans people when really it was just a joke that came from 4chan like literally it was just like the first thing that popped into an anon's head but yeah i get what you mean it's true this is what i mean i feel with the branding of art itself, you have to control the perception and very few artists. Right. And I talk about this on my podcast, like very few artists are able to do this. Like, and usually they're, let's face it, they're terrible. Like, like Banksy. So <laughs> no, but, but my, like, well, my point that, is yeah. the same thing. And it's happening in your generation because your yeah. generation was raised uh, under an assault of, of permission culture propaganda. Right. And so people actually believe that this is the right way of things, that controlling other people's perception of you is an entitlement. Whereas anybody that's had any experience like trying to recover from a mental health problem, like me, <laughs> right? Because I had like real severe depression when I was younger. What, what you learn when you're trying to uh, manage your mental health is this idea of the locus of control has to be in yourself and that you don't get to control what other people think of you other people are going to think whatever they want of you. And if your idea of yourself is bound up in that, that is a recipe for severe mental health problems. And depression is no fun. I mean, I've, I've had plenty of it, but the way, that you, uh, the way that you become strong enough to withstand that is to not control other people. That's all. So, that was my point. But do you, do you oh, oh. feel that like animation is different than music or, or the mm. contemporary no. world? Or do you feel it's the same sort of like... Process? Well, th this also, by the way, quickly relates to a question which 360360 asked. And this is the second time he's asking, so I want to address it. Nina, is it okay with you if your work gets changed by remixing it, perhaps sold on t-shirts, etc., with no compensation back to you? Yes. Ooh. There yes. we go. Absolutely. I mean, the thing, so what I do is I, I, you know, when people do that, I'm like, it would be nice if you sent me money. Like if you make money, I really appreciate getting some of that money, but I don't force anybody to do that. I don't, and I certainly am not going to invoke law to do that. Um, and uh, also, you know, when, when you explore the reality of actually 
manufacturing things and making money. People have this idea that people are making money hand over fist by selling t-shirts. And it's like, no, they're not. It's expensive. Like it costs money to make stuff. And it takes a long time to actually turn a profit. Yeah. Well, yeah, it takes time, especially I would imagine with animation, like that was the big thing about like YouTube basically murdering the animators because it takes so much time to produce such like maybe not even a five minute video where it's like the algorithm determines that you need constant content 15 over 15 minutes and for animators unless you're doing like total shit like that's impossible like pretty much right so yeah but i don't i mean i don't know about killing animators it's a different form it's Mm. just a different thing you know it's like saying oh killing animators killed painters Mm. yeah well (laughs) Well, the way the the algorithm works right now was was newgrounds right and Newgrounds kind of got killed by youtube yeah I mean, right. the way that the algorithm of YouTube works right now, it does not really favor animators because a lot of it is about more the attention. But it's so, no, but but someone day. brings up a good point. It's every day, bro. Yeah, but Nina, you do bring up a good point about like digital, like I hate to say it, but digital, digital art did sort of like it sort of cut knocked oh. us painters down a pet. Ooh, I had a cat that looked almost like that. Wow. But yeah, it, digital art did knock us down a pet because it's very easy to produce. It's very easy to do something that's appealing. And uh, yeah, but well, well, that's another issue for another time. Speaking of appealing, look at this beautiful tiger right in front yes. of us here. She's a good kitty. Let's see. If What's she her plays. name? This is Lola. Lola. Yeah, g- 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 uh, the uh, ASMR effects from the uh, purring is uh, is quite something. I'm a big fan of that. And oh, look at that! Look at that! That is that is love. adorable. Pure love. Yes. So yeah, let's, we all... uh, what, what were you gonna say, Liv? So I think that this could be a good opportunity to transfer this conversation into something that is brought up a lot on a BTR, where the more, let's say, liberal idea of, you know, let everybody do what they want, let your freak flag fly. I believe Geo, the argument, or like the counter argument to that, that uh, goes on quite regularly is that once those floodgates open up, what we're seeing right now, not just with the copyright, but also with the SJWs and all that, that is the direct result of kind of like letting everybody do well, their own thing. I feel like we should rather, uh, before we get into that, we should use that as bridge into that with uh, with Nina's work, uh, particularly mm. Cedar Masochism and yes. what it's about and its mythology and its real struggle with um, tradition versus... Uh, counter tradition and i feel like yeah so maybe we'll we'll do that um that'll be a good bridge instead of just you know talking about the same stuff all the culture stuff. so (laughs) yeah so go in it yeah so describe what is the what's the basic uh purpose and and uh what would you say plot of cedar masochism because it's basically describing to me, it's like describing the Passover story, but it's more, there's a lot of like, it's more of what you're not saying rather than, or rather implying than just the the basic sort of uh, Judaic tradition. Because to me, it's, is it a conversation between you and your grandfather or? or that was my father. Oh, your father. Okay. So yeah. So there's this conversation where you're, you are the, the lamb and uh, your father is like the, um, the representative of the oh the goat 
Yeah, the goat the specifically. Very cute goat. Yeah, the goat in, in your or father. Or perhaps a black sheep. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> it. And your father is representative of the classic um, Semitic uh, conception of, of uh, the Lord. And you're having this conversation, but this conversation really is just a foil, I think. I wouldn't say Semitic, I would say Abrahamic. Abra sorry, Abrahamic, yeah. Uh, I couldn't, why did I forget that? Um, but the conversation is really a foil for um, not just describing Passover, but also uh, the basis of mythology that the Abrahamic faiths sort of overturned and uh, contemporary, and I guess this is where people read in like contemporary gender politics, which you have argued against, but yeah, but basically I'm describing too much. It's, it's your it's your project it's your work so yeah but the thing is like i it's i don't actually like telling people what it's supposed to mean because it's a lot more yeah. interesting to me right like i made the movie and what's the point of me saying what the movie's about i made the movie right, right, i'm more right. interested in hearing you say what the movie's sure. about yeah uh, i like the part like we'll, we'll get the yeah there but just really quickly um there there's a stark like transition halfway through uh <laughs> that uh, depending on who you are, it's sort of like the the uh, the representative of like the earth goddess, the uh, longhouse, <laughs> the longhouse mother being totally <clears throat> toppled and smashed by true Abrahamic patriarchal God based in red pilled. Uh, but that, <laughs> so then you sort of, uh, you use this as like, and I, I know back, back in the day, this was like a popular sort of train of thought uh, using this as, you know, so now the dominator ego comes in and it's like the male centric, uh, logo centric sort of, uh, deification of the Lord. And then it's like, you can have this one shot where you're like comparing the KKK next to Islamic fundamentalists next to the Israeli defense force glassing Palestinians with fighter jets. So it's like, well, that's in, that, that, yeah. that, that scene was after things we do for love, because when oh, I was making, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's the song when I was making it, so like I have this whole story and I'm like very critical, but it all ends up with, and they make a new church, right? They, they, make, they make this religion. It's the beginning, you know, the, after the Exodus, they build the tabernacle and there you go. Uh, and I was just like, what the fuck? Right, because I was reading the Old Testament finally um, and thinking about it for, for years to make this. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, this is this is it like this is the the happy ending i guess so and and i chose the song the things we do for love because in all of the like in my whole journey of of researching this and learning about it i was one of the reasons that i i made this was my father died and oh, i was sorry. thinking about you know his his upbringing in a religious family and religion in general and uh, you know, the, the heritage and, um, you know, and the Old Testament, like, you know, all of this. And got into arguments with people and lots of conversations. But what I just concluded was, this doesn't actually make sense, but people love it. Right? Like, no, mm -hmm. nobody can explain to me, nobody can justify really anything about these religions. But it's their family. It's what they were raised with. And they love it. And like the thing with circumcision, right? Like I had, a, I had the cartoon circumcision in the same, oh God, yeah. right? Things we do for love. And it's like, <laughs> this is 
is horrific, right? Like this is, this is, it's horrific and it's beloved and Jews keep doing it. It's, you know, like a, a profound ritual, I guess. And I'm just like, okay, I, I don't get it, but I can tell people love it. So that's what that piece was about. It was like, and I can't tell people not to love what they love. You know, I can't tell you're raised in it and it's like, it's like your family or maybe even you have a conversion experience and it's just some really profound connections. So at the end of that, showing these, you know, what we consider atrocities, these things were done out of love too. You know, like the, the zealots that flew a plane into the World Trade Center, they were doing that out of profound passion and commitment. And the KKK also, I mean, from their point of view, it's profound passion and commitment and, and principles as far as they're concerned. Um, so I'm not saying like, I'm, I'm trying to step back from what's right and what's wrong and just go like, this is, this is how humans are. I mean, they love ideologies. They love religions. They, we are religious and we do all kinds of things in the name of love, including <laughs> things that at this point we would judge really harshly. There are instructions, you know, if you, if you respect the Bible, um, respect the Old Testament, there are commandments against idolatry and we are all idolaters. Uh, and this thing with smashing idols, I think I put that one in, your time is gonna come. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the one, yeah. Yeah, and you know, like Westerners are like, oh my gosh, you know, that's so horrible. They're destroying idols. It's like, you're supposed to do that. They're more committed. The people that are smashing these idols are more committed to this religion that you claim to respect and be part of, they're actually following the law in that, you know, in that religion and you're not. I don't think it's good. I mean, I'm very much against destroying beautiful ancient works of art, but uh, I was hoping people would actually think about this. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, like, let's let's open this up to to Chad Kaczynski and to Remus. Like, what do you what do you guys think? I I, I don't know if you saw the film. Uh, yeah, I watched it. I I I thought it was one. I thought it was really sweet because it's a conversation between a daughter and a, and her uh, and her father and talking about something that he clearly finds uncomfortable but is willing to talk to her about. I I I, I love the movie because it's it's about really profound things done in a very uh a very very uh like anybody can understand it you know what i mean it's not it's 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 not hidden what you're saying you you do you do a great job of a mix between subtlety and and a, and a lack of it sometimes like sometimes you just <laughs> you just drop it there's a scene in the middle of that movie where i was just like holy shit like, yeah <laughs> this is fucking real you know um i i enjoyed watching it because it it's it's talking about this from the perspective of the people that it's quote unquote about you know um and you know what he remembers from his childhood and all of that right it's a, it's a connection to the past it was it was um it was very moving i would say thank you 
Yeah, no, I, I quite, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed it. Oh, and, um, and just to, yeah, but just to clarify, um, I don't know. L listen, listen about the chat. Listen, we we don't moderate the chat as we made it clear, but no gamer words inside because yes. of us, because of YouTube. Okay, so don't worry. about This it. is and, coming pretty much from D Live. So yeah. Oh, it's oh no, are... no wonder it's coming from D Live. Yes. So so Nina, just <laughs> so you know, <laughs> just so you know what exactly oh, D. D Live yeah, is about. So D Live has a lot of really young people, like Zoomers, like the base Gen Z, as they are called. And they are Zyklon, you mean? Yes, exactly. <laughs> they are really, they are really young, and they like to act out. So yeah. Kyle's too loves circumcision. <laughs> I love that. No, but but Nina, you're cool because it's bound to come up. But you're cool, like not cool, but like you realize that like you're probably gonna come across some. Uh, comments about uh the uh you know the uh certain tribe that you're a part of so you're just to be clear don't worry about it it's totally fine it's all humor it's all jokes so uh if if you ever see something in the chat about you being uh a part of the certain tribe don't don't worry don't freak out okay, i'm i'm a i'm not following the chat because i can't i don't have that split attention oh thank thank i'm actually <laughs> attending to our conversation if i were to read that at the same time yeah, i would yeah, not be, be able to process too much information yeah, don't yeah. worry about it uh because but anyway so yeah yeah so so uh let's hear um i'm curious to hear to chad kaczynski's take on this uh, uh, not just about the film, but about the, the role of Abrahamic religions coming from your, uh, I'm assuming, pagan perspective. Uh, yeah, uh, go ahead, my friend. Well, uh, Jews are funny. <laughs> <laughs> we are. <laughs> right off the bat. Oh, oh boy. Oh. Lev... Lev is my friend, and out of respect for him and the well-being of his podcast, I will refrain from making comments on the historicity of the Passover narrative. Uh, no, 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 but maybe no. I want. Have you seen the movie? I don't. I don't think there's like much historicity there. <laughs> no, no but any. go without using too many expletives. I'm curious <laughs> to hear your alternative, like. Oh my God, D Life comments. I'm yeah. I'm curious to hear Chad your 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 uh, critique uh, in the most not sanitized. Give us the truth in your perspective. But yeah, go ahead, my friend. Go ahead. I'm curious well, to hear this this uh, alternative narrative of Passover. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I I enjoyed Remus's comment. Uh, above all else, I I did think it was a very cute, wholesome story. Uh, Lev had originally sent me a link to the film and to the interview that Nina did with Professor Canadian Frogman. Uh, <laughs> and I, I thought that that gave a good context that made the father-daughter story that's contained within it very heartwarming. And anti-Semitic or not, uh, it's it's a beautiful story about family and passing traditions down, which is something I strongly believe in, regardless of your background. Um, if you wanted me to give my uh, spicier take on the historicity of Passover, uh, it's the original six million claim. We have no evidence to suggest that there was any enslavement of 
Hebrews in Egypt, it's far more likely that they were privately contracted, paid, and housed laborers. However, uh, I won't go into any more detail about that because I know that the moderators of these lovely websites hosting our podcast <laughs> would not be too pleased. Well, well, just I should just add that like there there is no historical evidence of of the Passover story. It's not. It's not real. It's not a, I mean, it's a myth and myths are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. uh, But it's not a historic, I mean, even my father, I think I even asked him at one point in, in the movie, which I loved his response too. Like, do you think the Passover, the events of the Passover? Oh yeah. He's like, well, what kind of question is that? Yeah. He's like, what the hell kind of question is that? I don't care. care. That was the greatest part of the, that was my favorite part in the whole movie. It was was excellent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I feel. It was a perfect answer. But I feel without getting too spicy that, I mean, that's, would you say that's largely the response of the, the Jewish diaspora? And, and cause I don't know, from my, you know, Catholic perspective, we're very much invested in, in the historicity of Christ, obviously. Yeah. It's, it's a different, uh, it's a different sort of reality than what I'm noticing from, I don't know, maybe it's different with Israelis, but with the Jewish diaspora, do you feel like that both of you, Nina and, and Chad, do you feel that maybe they don't have that, not that they don't have a much of a tie to tradition, but when it comes to the brute like facts and metaphysics of the, the, the old Testament, the Talmud, do you feel that that's sort of like over the generations, that's almost like, you know, not the point or I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious as an outsider, as a, as a, well, As is, a Gentile is, that, you know what I mean? Like, I'm curious to know, like, what the, the current Jewish attitude is towards this. All right, so, so first of all, I'm, I am no representative of Jews. Obviously, right? you've made that very clear in your film. Yeah, so. I made that very clear in the film. And the film is really not Zionist, but um, I, I did. I, mean, I really say that by that last scene, this land is mine. I mean, oh what, boy! What that, I, I didn't. I didn't know that was a part of a larger film. For <laughs> yeah, I saw that years actually. ago. I saw that years ago. Yeah. A, an Egyptian friend of mine sent it to me. That's the first. The first piece of the film that I made. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, the first shall be last and all that. So the that song came from the movie uh, Exodus. Yes. Yeah which I had never seen actually until I started doing research for this movie. And it was, you know, this was a, a Zionist anthem and the movie was a Zionist. I mean, it was largely a piece of Zionist propaganda. It also had, you know, was- which really, which is funny because a lot of those films, like the 10 commandments and Exodus, though, those like long, like three hour, epic, four hour epics, it was really like instrumental in, um, converting american evangelicals towards uh christian what they call christian zionism christian zionism right which i think is quite interesting for right I didn't i'll say no more i'll say no more but very it's... widespread yeah say no yeah more. <laughs> yeah i didn't i didn't know about the ten, ten commandments being part of that but this definitely was and it the song and the whole movie what it's doing is it's tying the the modern exodus of uh World, you know, post-World War II uh, with this biblical story, which makes it, you know, much more emotional and much more profound. Um, there is no, 
uh, historical evidence for the biblical Exodus uh, there is, and I realize this is really since we have a we have a uh, what an a, an official um, I, I guess anti semite <laughs> <Just laughs> like a proud, proud anti semite on the show counter semite counter semite that's right a proud counter semite on the show they're so not he, all bad don't so he may <laughs> he may he may dispute the historicity of world war ii and the final solution and like well, that anti-zionism anti i think is a valid um position to explore but that's oh no yeah sure i feel but, but yeah there, and you yourself are... i think you, you dabble mm. with the anti-zionist uh, uh... i just want to say uh, one thing real quick which is i think that when it comes to people not having the ability to talk about this stuff it fuels suspicion yeah. on all sides and yes. as a result you know like nothing can be taken as uh, something that's uh, something that's valid to the point that people would completely you know deny you know even you know like even if the even if people would deny certain things have happened at the least there is enough evidence of enough video footage just to say that people did not have you know they weren't in disneyland people did not have a good time people it, did not they, know, it, like, yeah, was, yeah they was, debate the numbers was... and they debate i i feel right. like i'm even just going crazy like even just touching this shit i feel like but at the same time like there were horrific things happening all over Europe to yeah. lots of different people, including Jews. Yes, and, including, yes. And, yes. and I will say that, um, all right, so what I, what I do wanna say is for me, I have no doubt of the historicity of the Holocaust, right? Like, so if yeah. someone is denying the Holocaust, I'm just gonna be like, well, we're just gonna have to not go, go there because go yeah. because I can't really get into that. Um, just <laughs> except that, uh, as far as I am concerned, it happened. Um, uh, I do not think that. Uh, I mean, there there were a number of Jewish critics of Zionism at the time. Hannah Arendt being one of them. Yes, that's there right. have been yes. a number of Jewish critics of Zionism throughout. I think Noam Chomsky. Um, quite a few, actually, like a, a lot of uh, Jewish intellectuals that I really, really respect were like, this is not going to go well at all. Who is yeah. the one that wrote The Holocaust it, it, Industry? Uh, Howard Zinn or um, no, Franken, Franken, uh, he wrote The Holocaust Industry book. Yeah. Anyway, there have there yeah. have been some really thoughtful. Finkelstein, Norm Finkelstein. Norm Finkelstein, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There have been thoughtful Jewish critics of Zionism and uh yeah, I mean, I am I am critical of Zionism. The thing with like, if you if you filter yourself down to some identity around Zionism, people will just it's it's hopeless, right? Like it's a it's a complicated mess. Uh, yeah. I acknowledge that people have been born in the state of Israel for quite a few generations that had nothing to do with the foundation of Israel. It's like this has happened, right? Like it's it's too late it's yeah, it already it, happened yes it's already happened it exists like israel is there and well the real the real culprits were the british the anglos that, that was the real problem oh, I, I don't know i don't know about that man. I think it <laughs> well, was, well the the other the question, anglos in the, tandem with they, the, were the, uh, they were the vehicle they were the they were the vehicle maybe. But, the, but the other question comes to where would people prefer to live as far as not just the jewish people but the uh, arabians and the druze and others when it comes to you know israel versus palestine for example in israel the second national language is arabic uh, as 
same with the representation that they have in the uh, government there. So it's like, I don't see the Arabians who are living in Israel wanting to get out of Israel anytime soon. They well, kind of like, there, they kinda like has, where they're, where they're um, living right now. There's been abuse, Slev. There, there has been like, migrant relative, workers, relative force. But relative but, to what, again, like, if you yeah, were to compare that with the abuses that Jews would get who were living in uh, Islamic countries. Like, oh, it I wouldn't God, even be close. It wouldn't yeah, be like, close. like when God Saad was talking about his experience living in... Uh, yeah, well, before, before even being killed, like, if we're talking about, like, God Saad, you know, like, he and Jordan Peterson have appeared on the same shows multiple times. I don't know if you're familiar with him, uh, Nina, but uh, he was from, um, what was it, uh, Lebanon. Lebanese. Yeah, he's Lebanese. Yeah, he's Lebanese. He's, he's Lebanese. He he lives in uh, Montreal now. And he's um, talking about how throughout the years, there's quite a bit of Lebanese the, uh, in Montreal. Actually. Yeah, yeah, because like he was... they were running. And they yeah, are also. Was... I lived. Oh. I lived across the street from a Palestinian Christian. They were. They oh, that's the yeah. The, a lot zone. of yeah, yeah. A lot of Alawites went there as well. So, yeah, yeah. Canada was full of full of refugees. So like, mm -hmm. you just got horror stories from everybody's <laughs> families. It was, it was insane. Everybody's yeah. pasts were full of craziness. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of Vietnam, Vietnamese boat people. My local church took a lot of them in the, in the, yeah. uh, the seventies. Yeah. But any, anyways, Lev, yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know. I don't want to, maybe we should move on to the, like, what the movie's about ultimately. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's about this cycle of conflict. It's, it's about, and it's yeah. a mess. And I don't, you know, I don't see any solution. And I have been asked at screening, somebody said, well, surely you take a side. I mean, whose side do you take? And I said, the lands, you know, I take the side of the, cause that's, that's the thing with like, uh, you know, the whole movie is about like, well, what, what did we have prior to Abrahamism? That looked pretty good. <laughs> I always love the very end, like that cheeky face death makes where he's like, this land is meaning like death, like the angel of death. Yeah, and that's who owns. Yeah, that land, and I, I really love that scene. God owns. Uh, yeah. We have a we have a comment from Philip Daniel. Uh, ask Nina if she knows Arnold Schoenberg's unfinished opera Moses unto Aaron, which has been adapted into film by Straub and Hulet. Schoenberg could never reconcile. I, 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 I'm quite a fan of Schoenberg. I like that type of uh, atonal stuff. So, but have you ever heard of uh, Moses unto Aaron? Moses under Aaron, no. Oh. But you know, I'm a Philistine, so <laughs> no culture. So yeah, the <laughs> has Lev? Lev could answer that. No, no okay. unfortunately, I am also a Philistine. I have not heard of Moses onto Aaron. But what what is Moses onto Aaron? We'll we'll get a re <laughs> we'll we'll get a reply. Lev anyways, is probably I mean opera, so so Lev, uh, you know, from the film, it should be clear that uh, you know my father was in spite of the family heritage, my father mostly practiced atheism or, or didn't practice anything, right? My, my father was actually a, he was an atheist as well as a Jew and he was concerned about our, our heritage and stuff, but- um, An atheist I was never, Jew? I was never, <laughs> I was never bad mitzvah. Like I didn't, I didn't have to go through that. Um, did you go through that? Like, are you bar mitzvahed? I am not bar mitzvahed and I would say also Nina that I have not gone through a lot of the other aforementioned things that Jewish people have. <laughs> oh. 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 So, 
Yeah, I mean that is. I would. I yeah. I would. I would say I'm kind of an exception when it comes to a lot of these different things. But at the same time, I think that there is a lot of value in looking into Judaism as uh, far as the mystical side of it. How exactly all of these things kept being brought up. And uh, by the way, I am gonna fix the chat right now. I'm on the laptop, so it's kind of difficult for me to use these two things at the same time. We have we have a delay in case there's gamer words. Well, we don't have a delay. Okay, something happened in D Live. I'm gonna figure out. I'm gonna figure out what exactly is going on with D Live because look, here's the thing: the the people on D Live they do not know that gamer words are going to create a problem with the YouTube algorithm, nor do they care. So I think I'm actually. <laughs> yes, I am. I am going to. I love how. It, yeah, it's such. It's such a quintessential D Live. Oh man, that's beautiful. Yeah. Anyways, it causes this problem. Quintessential part of the internet, but now it, <laughs> it is, should. Be. It is now, now. It yeah. is. Now it has simply been relegated to. Uh, D loves and things like that. <laughs> but so, but uh, go ahead, love. Yeah. So when it comes to things like the Kabbalah, for instance, I love talking about how Kabbalah, Hermeticism, a lot of these different things, they are very much related and talk about something primal that has to do with the human body and the spirit and how, like I was talking to Nina earlier, like we do these breathing techniques that cause us to experience, you know, uh, moments of connecting with something higher than us. And this whole idea of the tree of life, the seven chakras, that I think can be linked up together with the uh, uh Marian tree of life, you know, like that whole bush that the two birdmen are around, and that can also be linked up to uh, the cat, like the Kabbalistic tree of life with the seven chakras, uh, showing like the human body is also a microcosm of the universe. And I don't want to go full like flower child over here, but actually, speaking of all this stuff, Hotep Sophia has just entered the chat as well. Hotep Sophia, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a great pleasure to see you again. And Hotep Sophia is a really, really big fan of Nina Paley. Uh, you've been watching her for a long time, right? Uh, yeah, I am actually. I feel hey. like I discovered the shorts out of um, nowhere. And I've I've seen Seder Macroism like a hundred times, it's like a once a month. Like I have to just remember that these people are crazy, and it keeps me grounded. <laughs> cool, thanks. And uh, when it comes to, for example. The Longhouse Mother. This is something that Gio mentioned, and I want to go back to that because I think this talks about the source of a lot of the. Uh, so, for yeah. example, there are people. Yeah. Well. Like, there are people in a uh, Kaliak like I was talking about before, who were talking about, and they even made music videos where, like, the goddesses that you had, like, the dancing fertility goddesses, they had those goddesses with all of these, like, uh, you know, uh, how do I say it? All these low-T men around them, worshipping them. Kind of like, uh, you know. Men. Yes, like these low-T men. <laughs> these well, I, simps, I love these how simps. much she loves them. That's hilarious. Well, the concept came... <laughs> it's beautiful, right? Perfect. Yeah. There's a long history of, of the concept. Like, for example, if you look at um, like like Jungians, like Eric Neumann, but the real, the concept of like the actual term, the meme term of Longhouse Mother came from Bronze Age Pervert uh, talking in his book, Bronze's Mindset, talking about how these fertility cults uh, in antiquity, the ones that you're taking in the film iconography from so for example you have the venus of Waldorf. that's like the the classic one yes you have uh isis which is reaching her star body across the sky 
but at the one point you have that was nut actually not sorry uh, not yeah yeah um and then at one point you have the uh the the archetype of the dancing uh fertility goddess mother with her breasts and there's all these women with uh uh, they're, they're sort of uh, cutouts that bleed into each other and animals are going through her body. Yeah. There's this one point where she gives birth through the cosmic yoni to the male figure and the male figure uh, ultimately destroys her and takes yes. on her skin and ushers yeah. in based, red-pilled, patriarchal, Faustian future. So uh, you have that conflict of... <laughs> and so Bronze Age Pervert, he, he says about how the the longhouse mother where the matriarch is in the classic longhouse sort of stifling the creativity and energy of the younger males by literally sitting on them in, in various depictions of mm -hmm. mythology. And so you needed to destroy the longhouse mother in order to not, I mean, I, from maybe from your perspective, this was a terrible loss and it ushered in a history of sexualized violence uh, which, I mean, no doubt, possibly, but it also created this sort of Faustian bargain where now the patriarchal, the lunar, what Evola calls the lunar masculine aspect, can now come in and create a glorious civilization that speeds up innovation and mm -hmm. Faustian man exploring. I don't know, well, Ch Remus and, and Chad Kaczynski, you two have a lot of thoughts on me, so I feel like I'm just talking. Um, what do you guys feel about... Uh, Destroying the longhouse mother. <laughs> but, but I really want to hear this, but I, I have to take a bathroom break. Can I come back in a sec? Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. All right, I'm just going to stop the video and mute myself, and I'll be right back. So I'm going to take this chance to tell everybody to subscribe. By the way, we were only having like three people on D Live watching this thing versus all the people who are watching it on YouTube right now. Well, we have to it grow is, on D Live. That's we do have to. Yes, we do have to grow on D Live, but also we got to figure out a way for the D Live people to fucking behave themselves. Themselves when it comes that's to never gonna happen you that's never gonna it. happen oh is that the problem with the live that, people the, yeah. well the problem is the d live chat because they're yeah they're not yeah. gonna control themselves <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i yes. feel well i, I don't want to alienate the d live people but i do feel that the d live obviously has a more loose moderation than youtube youtube unfortunately uh yeah <laughs> but they're they're the jannies on youtube are just ridiculous so yeah. um but Hopefully we can grow on DLive. And by the way, we've recently got approved thanks to Lev on Apple Podcast. Yes, we oh, have. Now you can. Oh, uh, wow. Now we're and real. It's... Now we're a real podcast. Now, so. yeah. <laughs> the, the corpse of Steve Jobs has acknowledged us. Exactly. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so easy. You just go to Apple Podcasts and you type in uh, break the rules. And it's like one of the first ones there. We're going to beat that lady who has her break the rules before us. But anyway, uh, so uh, what were you saying? Who, who was that just now? That was Chad. That was me. Ch Chad, uh, yes. Lev, yeah, while Nina was out, I saw something in chat that I wanted to clear up. Uh, just give me one second. I need to, I'm going to turn my camera off. I need to make myself docs proof. Uh-oh. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. What's going to happen? Let's Someone see. Have y'all talked about any of the copyright issues yet? Yes. Yeah, we already talked about copyright. Uh, well, Hotep will give you a little bit of a chance. Oh, yeah, she'll, she'll talk about it with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hotep usually talks about things where we like it. Man, <laughs> wow, oh, look at that. I tried oh, not to. Oh, yes. Now, now you're, like, you're like one of the uh, daft punk people. You're subtly <laughs> doxing your environment, but that's okay. This is... Uh, <laughs> 
This is my anti-docs astronaut helmet. Someone in chat asked if the story about me getting my throat slit was true. I wanted to. Uh, Whoa! Oh my gosh! Oh. Holy Dude. crap! Jared, these, Beyond legendary. This, this top one here, it's quite jagged, and the reason for that is because the blade went four and a half inches deep. Now, wow. I, I challenge you, I challenge you, th this lower one here, the small one, that was the last cut. It was, a, it was a direct knife incision that they then pulled out. That was four and a half inches deep as well. Now, for the person who uh, was wondering if the story is real, and I know some people uh, made allegations that it was a failed suicide attempt, I challenge you to find any motherfucker who can slit their throat three goddamn times and keep going. Yeah, that's wow. Mm. I that's crazy. I mean, um, how did they like? How did they not like get? Did they get the jugular or like? Because you had to walk quite a bit to go to to find. I think you found someone who was driving by, if I recall. But the what you went through in the desert, that was just oh my god, that's yeah, that's something that's next level. But what what happened? They didn't manage to nick the jugular, or else you would have. Uh... No, they they didn't hit the jugular. Uh, it was a lot deeper than it was wide. Oh, I see, I see. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, they didn't okay. kind of cross. They just punctured. I mean, it's not like it's more so that they not punctured a... than they cut across. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not that they didn't cut across. Did they uh, catch any of the? Uh, yeah. Did they catch any of the guys who did it? No. Uh, well, I don't know exactly. Uh, supposed, supposedly, the native law enforcement have someone in custody. I'm going to talk about this in detail next week on the third grail, and I strongly recommend that people check that out. However, while Nina was away, I just wanted to take a moment to answer that comment. All right. Excellent. Well, yeah. Well, Nina, now you know. This is you for real. I do. Punk. Yeah, I had to even ask. I'm the one that asked that. Yeah. <laughs> So back to the uh, the longhouse mother and uh, and all of that. Mother. Um, yes. So I'm curious uh, what your takes are on uh, the things that uh, Gio was mentioning uh, with this. And I would also add one more thing, which is some of the tribes like the Scythians, uh, some, some of our uh, friends there on Twitter, they attribute those tribes as being more of an example of equality where you would have men and women, women wearing those pointy hats, uh, uh, riding along each other, you know, with the, uh, with the horses and they uh, treated each other pretty much like we equals when it came to, you know, proving one's worth on the battlefield, regardless of gender. And they would say, like, they oh. were the true people who were equal, not like all these fetishistic fertility cult uh, farmers, you know, who put women as like this fetish object with these big hips and breasts and all that. So that's they, an interesting... They weren't farmers, Lev. The whole... Has anybody read this book called Against the Grain? about the advent, like the, the first states. Oh yeah, I think I've heard of it. The earliest states. So the whole thing with farming, uh, farming is states. Like once you have people farming, you have states forming. And this parallels actually the mythology of the goddess and, and the giving birth to the, the god. 
those those early gods they're like vegetation gods and the more farming the more agriculture you have the, the more the male deity rises and the more the female falls and um you know we don't we don't have a lot of record of pre-agricultural societies because they didn't have writing because writing is something that you have when you have a state when you have property it begins with keeping accounts of property so there, there's really no way to know and something that i thought while i was working on this aspect of satyr masochism is we have no idea how people how people practice we have no idea really what they're what their conception of the divine was. We, we like to make stories, we like to conjecture based on these little images that we find, but we don't know. It seems really likely that the earliest human conception of the divine was a female. It makes sense, right? Because that's where more people come from is out of the female body. Uh, we don't know. And we just well, don't know any of this. It's pure, it's pure conjecture. Pure conjecture. It's pure conjecture, well, yeah. Well, um, Kyle mentioned uh, in the chat the, the works of uh, James C. Scott. If you've read Seeing Like a State. It's funny you mentioned Scott. Uh, I'm quite a fan of his work because there's one part in the film where the male deity uh, takes prominence and Moses smashes the idols. And now the little male figures that come out of the Yoni, they form an agricultural segmented line they all create the same square space and to me it almost represents the birth of like modern instrumental reason and quantifying nature and ultimately conquering nature that james c scott in his book talks about how uh the enlightenment bred and even before the enlightenment within mythology there was this need to uh need to grid and to use measure and numbers to basically dominate nature in such a way that agriculture and industrial, then eventually industrial advanced society can prop up. So I, I thought that was like a really nice Easter egg within uh, cedar masochism. Also, what, what, why did you pick the title cedar masochism? Like it's I know it's Seder, a player on cedar masochism. Not cedar, cedar. Sorry, cedar masochism. Yeah. Cedar yeah. would be if the cedar trees, as we're represented yeah, by the yeah. goddesses, <laughs> would decide, you know what, we want to be cut. Although there is an interesting thing about that. With uh, So there was a story that I heard. Again, people who live more out in nature talking about that the vibe that they're getting from Mother Nature is almost one that's saying, you know what? I challenge you to try to build a civilization. I'm going to be hard. I'm going to be wild. And it's about finding a balance between being able to subjugate nature to such an extent that you would be able to survive without completely destroying nature. In that sense, trying to find a middle ground between having a functional society and, you know, not just becoming this strange autistic, uh, you know, like I don't really know the word for it, but just micromanaging every single aspect and reducing people to numbers, which is, I think, the fear that a lot of people today who want to return back to nature have, like, uh, in fact, uh, you know, the name Ted Kaczynski, you know, Chad Kaczynski borrowed his name from that guy. And that was a really big fear of his. Like, you're familiar with the Unabomber, right, Nina? Yes. In fact, I was wondering. I was like, oh, are you Ted's cousin? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, maybe. Like, yes, no, I'm, I'm actually his secret child. Oh. oh. 
So this, this reminds me, it's funny, earlier today I was telling someone else about my Gaia theory of reproduction. Because what you're talking about, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm also, you know, fascinated with the stars and science fiction is amazing and I love literature and culture and um, I have like a love-hate relationship with my species. I am a, a species trader. I'm not reproducing. Um, and, well, um, you're reproducing through your art, though. That's that correct. I think is the key thing. Correct, but I'm not biologically reproducing, and um, I'm a, a long time, long term volunteer for the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. Which, if you haven't heard of that, that's a whole thing. Is that related explore. to uh, Church of Euthanasia? Not really. From the same era, but but the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement is a is a kinder, gentler, uh, and more accessible. I think concept yeah. uh, church of euthanasia is sort of in your face punk dada, which is you, you remember that. I like to watch music video. I saw that like right. Oh after my God. Like... So you're actually familiar with them. Did you know I was on the yes. Jerry Springer show with the church of euthanasia in 1997? Wait, was that when you were in the dominatrix oh outfit? Yes. Oh okay. I'm going to, if you don't mind, uh, Nina, I'm going to post that photo on discord with the dominatrix. Okay, you can, you can post a link to the video. It's really something. Okay. It was, it was some, that was some Dada performance art uh, for sure, but definitely hard to understand. And, and it did sort of model things, but I, I feel like the, the voluntary human extinction movement states things very well, very compassionately. Uh, and I'm, I'm down with that. But anyway, the love-hate relationship with, with my own species. And uh, so the Gaia theory of reproduction is that if we look at the Gaia theory, you're familiar with the Gaia theory, right? that the entire earth is, is one organism, right? Which I oh, okay. oh, yes. represent well, as the goddess, right? Yeah, sure. So, so a fundamental aspect of living organisms for something to be a living organism is it must reproduce. So how does Gaia reproduce, right? If Gaia is one thing, how is it gonna make a copy of itself? Uh, and my theory is that uh, human beings, as much as we trash nature and seem to be at odds with nature, we nonetheless evolved. We are part of the earth um, and that we are essentially sperm cells who are hell bent. We have like built into us this passionate desire to colonize other planets just for its own sake. It's very romantic for us and it's thrilling and we're willing to put tons of resources into it uh, in spite of all the hardships. And our function is not, even though we believe that we're going to live on other planets, our actual function is to spread microbes to other planets. Because if humans reach other planets, we are these convenient meat bags full of microbes and we're not going to survive, but uh, our bodies will feed all of these microbes and uh, give them a head start uh, to continue, you know, continue life elsewhere and give it a couple billion years and then there will be life on these other planets. A transformation. I, I really, An another I really... biosphere, in other words. There'll be, it, it's like, it's the, if we look at the biosphere as the single living organism and also many organisms die Pans in reproduction. you're talking about, right? Sorry, what? Talking about panspermia? Like the idea that the planet, the planet seeds life on another planet through... Potentially, and, 
Right. So like we, we think that it's us. We think that we're going to continue human civilization on other planets. Uh, but actually we are, we are being used by nature to spread bacteria yeah. <laughs> to other planets. Cause we're not going to survive. They do the real work. Yeah. They do the heavy lifting. They're like billions of, of, of permutations for months per year. Imagine like they're, right. they're doing so much, you know I mean? Like, of the of the of the they're like the ai uh compiler of information of <laughs> biology you know what i mean like the, the, the thing that you put the bulk numbers into that's that's what the bacteria is doing right and i mean yeah, yeah. uh or, or even more more primitive microbes theoretically yeah exactly uh, but but in this way the, the you know that from that another biosphere could develop and that would be reproduction and as i was saying a lot of a lot of creatures actually die in the process of reproduction or they become extremely weak. Um, so what is what what people always say is like, oh, well, we have to go to other planets because this planet's not going to last, right? Because we're trashing it. So we have to go to another planet. And um, it's like, that's part of the reproductive process, right? Hopefully it won't happen. But I'm, I'm, um, if I have, we, we can't choose like one side, right? Like we're humans. And so we have uh, we have both of these archetypes in us, right? We have the smothering mother and we have the, the innovative explorer. What are, you know, Pr called Promethean. The, the Promethean, thank you, that's perfect. Uh, but if I had to pick a side or what I, what I was doing was picking a side in sadomasochism because I feel like the, the great mother is underground right now. And we're out of oh, balance. I don't know. It's, it's, oh, yeah, it's would, definitely bubbling out. But uh, Chad, you had something to say? Well, I want to. I want to hear uh, oh. what type of Sophia. What, what were you going to say? Well, okay, and home to Sophia. Well, I mean, that's sort of like the the grand revelation is that you know the mother is just as important as the father. I mean, from a Christian perspective, that's sort of like why I like Seder Macalism because it take it allows the female to have a role in the actual story of the Bible. Whereas when you read it, you're like, okay, um, like what did the woman do? Like, but you know that there, there has to be a mother somewhere. So I was able to connect with that part where you actually get to see how the woman was there and literally like cast away uh, to, to, to tell the story in a way that, uh, limits the woman. So I think that um, with stories like that, people, there's lots of revelations that are just, I mean, I'm a millennial and millennials are, are notoriously nuts, but um, there's uh, lots of like awakening to the importance of the female uh, in a situation. I mean, there's still lots of uh, Millennials are nuts. I mean, I don't know what to say. These people, I don't understand them, but they're, they're, people are starting to wake up and say, okay, you can't really have a, a, a polite society without a well-functioning woman. Can't just be about, like, the men, you know, being functioning, you know, well, and the women just have to sit back. That's sort of like old-way feminism, because this new feminism is something different, but uh, I think people are waking up to the fact that this is something that we should be thinking about at least. Yeah, but what I'm what I mean about underground is like in the in the whole Bible, right? Like they're they're under they're underground in Abrahamism. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for sure. 
They don't have and, a voice, but they're there. Right. And, yeah. and I mean, like women have, of course, you can't have humanity without women, right? Like even if you have the most patriarchal, patriarchal society in the world, they need women to do the reproductive labor uh, or else you don't have any more humans. Everybody's got a mother. Right, everybody's got a mother who's female. But they limit yeah. that. I mean, they, they've limited how the importance of that. And I think right. that's sort of a feminism byproduct is saying, like I was talking to Lev about this, you know, a lot of women uh, in my age group, you know, I'm 35. And so I know a lot of people who don't have any kids yet. And they're like, oh, maybe I have to wait until I have this perfect job and this perfect life and this perfect stuff before I have kids. And then what happens is you get to be close to 40 and you haven't had any kids yet. Meanwhile, you have people in urban areas, they're starting to have kids at 16 and 17. So you have this huge problem where you have, you know, the well-educated people who are waiting so long that they don't have, they're not able to pass along that wisdom that they've collected against a group of people who are not necessarily as educated, but they started having babies super early. So the population is like, it's like a, a huge separation because you have the educated people are getting smaller and smaller, that class, you have the lower class getting bigger and bigger, and there's no way to really, there's very few people who can actually bridge that whole divide. It just turns into like a giant mess. Well, that's what the movie Idiocracy was about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, my whole thing genetic is genetic breeding. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it is. It's like it's funny because eugenics. Everyone's like, no, eugenics is terrible, and yet everybody's a eugenicist, right? Like, like you can. They're not going to call it eugenics, but everyone I've ever talked to, including. <laughs> oh God! What? She's right. She's fucking right. That's Come true. On. No, no, it's true. true. No, true. No, I don't want to have sex with that I'm, person I'm just... because they repulse me. No, no, I, no, it's true. I'm... No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just looking at the meta, like the discussion itself. It's like, um, it's true. I, I, mean, I think I'm, at so this my, point, Nina doesn't care about being canceled any further. Yeah, so. I've been canceled, it's like I've been canceled so much, and that for the stupidest reasons, right? Like you're all worried about, like, oh, these hot button things. Like we're talking about, you know, Israel and Zionism and eugenics, and it's like, no, no one cares. You don't get canceled for that. You get canceled for saying the name Ellen Page. Oh. How dare you name oh. that? Oh my god! <laughs> it's so stupid. It's like Yo, there are actually the, the best part. Phone, I was like, I why did I see why? The best part is that because of this, Vouch is saying that we won the culture war, but really, it's like every single media company and corporation and tech company has to like basically censor you out of existence if you uh question the narrative so you're really you're really winning Vouch. you're really the yeah. left is really winning the culture war yeah so but that's but all be, just but before, so don't worry about it but before we uh tie this to what i was mentioning before as far as whether liberalism itself may have something to do with that and i i i'm und, i'm undecided when it comes to this but before we get to that can you tell us a little bit nina about your experience in your hometown with like the festivals and everything since oh. this whole, I know, I don't, I don't mean to go down this road. <laughs> no, but for it's those okay. Who are not you can aware. read about it. Um, like, this has been like, like when I made Sita Sings the Blues, the defining trauma of my adult life at that point had been this breakup with my husband. Um, 
And the defining trauma <laughs> since then has been this insane canceling thing uh, where, you know, my, my home, my, I've been banned in my hometown. I mean, it's actually a lot easier for me since, since the pandemic came around because, uh, because, you know, these, these mobs can't like form among themselves. And also I feel no pressure to go and, and perform. There's no public for me to go into that I'd be banned from, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm the only filmmaker ever to be banned from the art theater in Champaign, Illinois. It since went under. Uh, Why did you get banned? Oh, because I'm, according to them, I'm a transphobic bigot who's in danger oh, of oh, trans oh, people. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, which is, so which is really ironic because I've had a couple trans lovers and you know, like whenever I say like, <laughs> oh, genuinely, like I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Nina, Nina, I'm, I'm really sorry to interrupt, but can I please just say you are so delightfully Jewish. You are so wonderfully, beautifully Jewish. And, and I, I mean that in the most sincere and heartfelt way. So you're, uh, you're a philo-Semite. Oh. No, no, I, I am a, I am a counter Semite. I maintain that. You're a philo counter Semite. See, counter in that I, I counter myself to organized political Jewry, but I mean, I, I, he I did. Invited me to but, no, but here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you're talking about Jews being connected with this, my whole thing is look back at, and I don't mean to go a whole, I feel like every single stream is the same thing, but anyway, hold on, real quick, French Revolution, French Revolution, French Revolution, no Jews, French Revolution, no, actually, actually, there was, actually, actually, okay, again, my whole point here is that I don't like, okay, my whole point is that I don't like this thing where leftism, the rabid leftism that has gone on, which has, you know, done horrible things as far as, you know, even publications saying, oh, it's so good that white people are going to be extinct now, yada, yada, yada. I hate the fact that the Jews who have zero to do with any of this bullshit, who have nothing to do with it, still get lumped in together with the leftists who are both Jews and Gentiles that have done so much to perpetuate this bullshit. But I feel, I and feel I, that... it's very, it's very easy to conflate yeah, the but two they're... together. Yeah. No, but see, but, that's but a reasonable stupid. thing. Like, for example, my recent video that came out um, yesterday, where I was critiquing this video on Instagram by Jerry Saltz, the uh, art critic. Uh, by the way, love, if you could link that in the chat. It's like, you know, when, when you have like a very stereotypical, like tribal person like Jerry Saltz, who's saying things like the death of the white, fragile, fragile white males tearing each other apart and it's good. And it's because well, he's reviewing these Carol Dunham paintings. And it's like, it's so amazing that we're going to, that Trump is gone and we're going to destroy the white male. It's like when you, that's like two, that's like a, a 4chan meme you know what i mean that it's like literally you know it's ah oh man i don't know i don't know what to say what, what i would say about the jewish <laughs> people in general has to do more with uh there was a very interesting book written by yuri seltskin i believe that's how you say his name and it talked about this not an apollonian but a mer mercurial spirit since a lot of jewish people for a long time as you know nina we've been living in the periphery of a lot of different civilizations and 
even though there were obviously Jewish farmers and things of that nature, this periphery defined certain occupations like, uh, you know, like anything that was kind of like what Jews, what gypsies did, things that the Apollonian farmers and churchgoers didn't really want to do. And in a way, these occupations created this mutual differentiation between the Apollonians living in the central, uh, like, the farms in the city versus all the people who were living in the outskirts. And, you know, even to the extent that the Jewish people kind of wanted to, like, those who wanted to be, you know, within their own community, they wanted to be considered the stranger. They wanted to be considered apart from the Gentile. But then there were other right. Jewish people, like a lot of great, you know, authors, artists, poets, who were, you know, just like you could say Pushkin, who was, you know, uh, half or like a quarter black where his grandfather Hannibal was brought over to Peter the Great from Africa. Just like Hay was responsible for creating what we would consider to be the modern Russian language. Just like that, there were so many Jewish artists who back in their day, you know, like Mandelstam, for example, who contributed to this, uh, you know, this culture. And they were like the demigods of civilization for wherever period or wherever, uh, whatever country they were living in. So this whole idea of this, you know, deculturalization or destabilization, I'm sorry, but it's fucking bullshit. Because we're talking about individuals here, some of whom decided to become leftists, some of whom decided to actually contribute to whatever civilization they were a part of and elevate it, spiritually elevate it. So that would be my defense to a lot of these things that keep being brought up. And uh, that's, well, that's all I got to say about that. Well, I don't know, Lev, like we say, like, I think we have to have a show... I don't know. That that'd be pretty dangerous, though. Where we bring I, on some people to debate whether the the extent of the uh, subversion. But don't chat. We keep interrupting you. I'm sorry, my friend. Well, I I strongly agree with Lev. Um, you can you can oppose, you know, organized jury or whatever word you want to use for it. But anyone who's trying to get way too esoteric and talk about inherent qualities of a Jewish soul or anything, it just strikes me that they've probably never hung out with a Jewish person or listened to an elderly Jewish man from Brooklyn tell <laughs> Jewish jokes uh, or slept with a Jewish woman. Uh, Jewish people have quite a bit to offer in their own way. And, and I think the... Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think the I think the very uh, the very black and white anti-Semitism that you see a lot of dorks espousing. Yeah, exactly. It, it, is, exactly. it is ultimately, and this is this is what they don't want to hear. It's Abrahamic in nature. It's fundamentally oh! it's fundamentally dharmic, uh, a dharmic because Whoa. if 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 you understand. The different tribes of man have different dharmas, have their own natural path that they follow. You would know that any attempt to eradicate Jewish people of their Jewishness uh, or something else that has similar words to that sentence that I'm not going to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just it's fundamentally a dharmic. You're you're erasing the essential attribute of uh, who Jewish people are. Well, Jim and, Chad, would you even know I was Jewish if I hadn't made this film? I mean, I didn't yes, do anything. Yes, I, I would. Didn't, I didn't, because like for years, <laughs> for years with friends, they'd be like, oh, you know, like where we're all like white people in the U.S. Like, where are your ancestors from? Where are your ancestors from? And, and um, I'd be like, hey, guess where my ancestors were from? They would freaking guess Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> 
that feel I when mean, you're so I mean, esoterically you got, you like racist curly, uh... you know so much about other races and you respect <laughs> them and want them to live on in the future i mean i did, I did nothing with the so-called jewish I, like i have a jew card oh let me show you my jew card oh, with nice. respect with respect madam you've come on the show and described going on jerry springer in a dominatrix outfit <laughs> sleeping with transgender people and you you made you made your oh. religious film you made your religious film an allegory for uh relationship with your father whilst using uh very very uh no, the, the film obviously, a- obviously, since I made Seder Masochism, that's obvious, right? But before I made Seder Masochism, I never yeah, yeah. played the Jew card. I own, and the Jew card was available, right? Card. Like for years, oh. for years, there were like grants for Jewish filmmakers and grants for Jewish artists. And I would not apply for those grants because I was like, why? Like, like I get a grant for being Jewish? I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Like, I don't, why? I, I, and, I'm uh, touching my grandfather's cross really hard in this stream. I must. But, <laughs> but when I decided. But I want to I get to the dominatrix part. But th- yeah. Okay, but when, when, when I decided this. to oh, make here it is. Seder masochism, <laughs> oh, I actually, I was like, okay, I'm going to play the Jew. <laughs> right? Like this Powerful. whole time, Fuck. I haven't played on this. I haven't That's taken so advantage cute. of this in any way. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 look at you. Exactly. Exactly. I gotta tell you, Hotep Sophia, the black card is worth about 30 Jew cards right now. Oh, it is. Much more valuable. It is infinitely more valuable. I never had it. We never had a Paisan card. That was unfortunate. But really, like, they just became white people. Fuck off, Italians. People are free to make fun of the Italians till the cows come home. Well, we're leftists instead of being racist, because back in the day, all of the Chapo tards and all of the. the, they used to be SA goons, but then they had to stop like posting N words. So now they have to attack Italians because, as you know, they just make fun of white like people. Hotep Sophia, I am a person of color. So, <laughs> well, I'm Italian. That means I'm automatically black. So it's yeah. It's, right? Used to be. Used <laughs> That's to be. the meaning. Oh, oh, by the way, we have a we have a comment from a Bruce Bottinger who says you are visibly Jewish and visibly sexy. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, some of those, some of those photos from back in the day, they, they oh, look from quite then, a... yeah, yeah. I was 27 yeah. when that photo was taken. So, but, but Chad, wait to, to finish your uh, where you were going to comment on something else before, and maybe remix. Oh, I suppose I could. Well, <laughs> Nina, your refusal of the of the grants, uh, the Hebrew grant, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> weird Uh, your refusal of that grant i think gets to the heart of a lot of this uh whole discussion which is that the state of the arts and the state of copyright and all that it's a result of art no longer being an aristocratic thing Uh, personally yes yeah being an esotericist nerd with kaczynski in my name I would attribute that to spiritual decay and the industrial system with everyone uh, being taken away from the land and with the spiritual decay as the cycle of the ages continues, art is now in many cases stripped of its spiritual value and it's not an attempt to create a 
material representation of divine forces, it's a way to make money for a lot of people. And yeah. oftentimes what is popular in what's called the art world is based upon what is making that money. And I think copyright law is a result of the aristocrat being deprived of his rightful space as the artist of society and the more mercantile peoples of the lower castes rising up into the art world. And I think the refusal of copyright law, the refusal of monetization of art and the promotion of creating art for the sake of creating something valuable, divine and meaningful to be seen by all is inherently an aristocratic trait. Yeah. That oh, and you know, your animation just looks really fucking cool. Well, yeah. well, thank you, but I, you're missing folk art. I mean, music is really heavily copyrighted and music is, most music I think has been folk music from the dawn of time. And people never thought of it yeah. as property and they never, I mean, you would pay the bard so that like if a bard was visiting, you know, you wanted them it was to stay a alive, sort of thing. you'd feed yeah. them. But uh, I mean, if you, there's folk art is a thing and well, folk, folk art, art was never copyrighted or well, never. Folk art's a really complicated sort of thing now in the contemporary art world, unfortunately, because folk art itself has sort of succumbed to the oh, yeah. forces of capital. But folk art, I think nowadays is a lot of um, artists that I communicate with on on the you know internet space and the people that we've had on. I feel that is the real folk art underground. Whereas the contemporary world, unfortunately, is another. Um, as much as I've had this role in the online right of defending a lot of contemporary art, it is an extension of academia nowadays, and it is totally controlled by capital by the neoliberal order and it is sort of a, a way of i know it's simplistic to call it like just funneling money but it, there's something about it that has been robbed of its genuine comportment towards the higher purpose in civilization if you want to call it a spiritual purpose or a higher cultural purpose and so i 100 percent agree with you chad i as an artist myself i i feel this sort of weight of having to balance you know um feeling worth within creation itself because you have these ideas that well you know i'm i'm a per, i'm an artist that will never get a canadian culture grant ever they never it'll never happen But you did get some grant recently though right yeah like, yeah uh, but that was a one-off like local thing like when it comes you got to like, the jewish grant yeah <laughs> but when it when it comes to uh when it comes to the way things are run in in the art world um like academia and like the publishing world, these things are slowly going to, I feel, unravel with its various contradictions, which is unfortunate because I do feel that, um, unlike a lot of people I associate with, uh, I do feel a lot of contemporary artists are out there are doing producing good works, but it's just that the monster machine, the art world academic industrial complex is suffocating that genuine meeting meaning and that genuine aristocratic impulse to create without burden and to create for the higher purpose of art itself and i feel that um things will change as people accept that people outside of the system are going to gain more legitimacy well geo you're you're talking about the art world you're talking about Oh, and as far as that world is concerned fine art is a form of currency for elites 
Yeah, it, it yeah. is a it's a storage system for money. And I did a piece <laughs> that if you I guess maybe Lev could look this up and, and post it somewhere. Uh, if you look up ten thousand dollar quilt, um, and I I wrote this essay to go with the piece where that's all it is. It's just it's just ways for very wealthy people to store yeah, money, and it's like, traded that way. And an animation is it's different in a in like the contemporary world, the finer context, because there is animation there, but it's not um, it's not narrative driven. There's a lot of like contemporary artists that have backgrounds in animation that are doing like singular pieces. Right, they're doing uh, pieces that can be invested in. The whole point, yeah. the whole art world. That can be projected right? into a gallery. All, all of the art world, all it is, is custom currency. Mm -hmm. It's like, instead of having currency that has, you know, these etchings, these US government etchings on it, when you have enough money, you can choose what image your currency has. They don't actually make currency in high enough denominations. <laughs> uh, but so, if you're, so once, for those once, you're, once you're going up into like the $10 million uh, denomination of currency, it looks like a painting or but a- do you, yeah, But, but it's you, the same thing with music. I mean, yeah, music is interject that it's the same thing. You have the artists out here creating great music, but you know, the ones who actually get paid for it that are signed to the label i mean wap is a great example of this i mean if you look at cardi b and and meg the boy horse i mean this is what this the music is worthless like but it's, except for the fact that the media made it to be this huge hit it was you know basically promoted by everyone and so like it's gonna make it's gonna make somebody a lot of money not the artist i mean it's a huge currency but what is it actually conveying? It's it's nothing. It's not nearly like a good song or anything else, but this is what they've done with the whole music world. They've just literally turned artists into pieces of currency and they literally just use them for as long as they can or as long as they're valuable in their whole chess game. And then when you're you're unvaluable, you don't own your music anymore. Look yeah, at Whitney Houston. She died with like, nothing because she didn't actually write any of her own songs and you know, the people who do write their own music they have an extremely difficult time crossing those type of divides the only superstars are people who don't write their own music except you know, for taylor swift you know what's crazy is that there was there's this art critic uh, i think his name is chris ott he uh had this series of youtube videos and he used to write for pitchfork and he said, like, that's basically the way um, the contemporary music world, like, controls artists. They, like, take these underground indie bands and they'll, like, uh, plaster them onto, like, like Fader or Pitchfork or all of these cash cows for these corporations because young people, they watch them. They are sorry. They read their articles and everything and they control the image of these bands. And it's like, oh, look, you know, all the kids, hello, fellow kids you have to go and pay attention to these bands and you're going to go to this underground party in Williamsburg. And Oh, by the way, this underground party is now sponsored by absolute vodka. So they can like control the image of those bands. And it's like, it's terrible. Like the music industry is dead nowadays and the contemporary world is no long, not long for this world either, but who knows what's going to, Who's what's gonna happen? But. but Nina, are you able to right now garner enough support with the people who uh, can appreciate, you know, actually good art and uh, be able to make a living from that? Yeah, well, it's funny because you, 
you're you're all talking about really different things as art. Uh, I mean, the first thing I would eliminate is this, you know, what Geo called the art world, right? Like I, I just, I'm not in that world. None of us are. Popular musicians, they're also not in this so-called art world. They're in the music industry, their industrial product, uh, which is also, <laughs> it's also not something I'm in. Uh, and certainly film has a corollary to that, right? Like the, we call it Hollywood. That's the, you know, that's, it's, it's all totally commodified, right? And um, culturally, I don't mesh really well with Hollywood. Uh, many people would say this is to my detriment, but uh, I just don't like it. Right, so also art, I mean, when, all right, when you were talking about folk art, I was thinking, what is folk art today? And I'm like, it's internet memes, right? <laughs> like this is, this, <laughs> yeah. this podcast is folk art, to be honest. Yes. Exactly. Uh, huh. uh, so, I currently, since I left New York, my living expenses are like close to nothing. Um, I am living with my, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in central Illinois. I live in my mom's house and uh, I just don't have expenses like I had in New York. So uh, I don't actually have to make much money right now. Uh, I don't want to make no money. I mean, I have some expenses, but compared to New York, it's just like so cheap. So, and also I have friends here who are like war tax resistors. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, it's, you can live here cheaply enough that you can be a war tax resistor just by not making enough money. <laughs> To, to pay war tax so uh Wait, when you say war tax do you mean like all the taxes we pay part of which go into the military industrial complex yes and actually i realize that's a that's there are other ways to think about taxes where that actually makes no sense at all so um it's kind of an old thinking that i had about taxes to think of them in terms of war taxes uh, interesting i don't even know what bail uh, what the bonds are do you remember they used to have bugs bunny uh you know selling the bonds like uh they still oh, have what bonds. are they they still okay they have yeah, like this tons of the bond is, is i live in maryland and they're always selling bonds for to build stuff and and so on but this is this whole not having to make a lot of money is exactly what i was talking about yesterday because literally if artists would just focus on if they would go live in areas where your cost of living is not expensive and then you could focus on your art whatever it is your your talent your passion but too many people are caught up in this whole you have to live in a city you have to have this you know, particular kind of lifestyle, but with the internet, it's it's completely unnecessary because you can live in the middle of nowhere and your house is like a hundred dollars a month, like for a decent sized house and you pay next to nothing for groceries and everything else and literally make money sitting at home on the internet. Like there's so many opportunities, but people have really been brainwashed into this whole concept of having to live in these high class areas and get involved in these completely, you know, like high lifestyles so that they can mesh with these people that ultimately are using them as a pawn. It's completely ridiculous. And I, I really wish there was something 
that we could do to convince people that, you know, it's not icky to live in the country. Like, it's just not living in, in, in the, the Midwest is not like the worst possible thing that could happen to you. I mean, so many people just have this whole, you know, country phobia. And I'm from the country, so it drives me nuts. Like, no, the country is fine. It's not where, scary. Where, it's where, you're from, where are you living now? I'm in Maryland, I'm, but uh, I'm from PG County, which is right outside of DC. But the area that I'm from uh, is rural, uh, but we got caught up in this whole Maryland tax thing. So now our cost uh, of living is much higher, yeah. but it used to be extremely low, like to live in this area. But now with all the stuff they've, they're expanding the government so much that it just, it ruined my area. So I'm, I'm gearing up to move, but literally like it used to cost next to nothing. And like our cost of living was so low, but now it's just like, it skyrocketed sort of out of nowhere. And, you know, when you live down a dirt road, it's kind of hard to, you know, for me, having lived down a dirt road is extremely difficult to justify living in an apartment. Like, I just don't understand it. I'm like, no, give me my dirt road. You know, this is fine. Let's go outside and pick some fruit or whatever. Like, it's fine. But a lot of people are told, oh, well, you can't live like that. You need to be able to have a Whole Foods and this and that. My county still doesn't have a Whole Foods. It's the richest black county in America. We have no Whole Foods. So I don't, I don't understand. Like, it's just people just need to give up this whole I have to live in modernity. I just, just do what you love and figure out a way to do it where you don't have to go into huge amounts of debt and you might actually like enjoy your life. Yeah, well, I think I think the hugest amount of debt people have now is college. That's that's devastating. But I I just want to say though that like when I when I was younger, I loved living in cities, right? Like I don't I'm so glad not to be in one now. But there's just something, and I and I needed like, to meet people to be in the city. To be honest, because I, I like was living in the village for a bit, and I like kind of fucking hated it in terms of like being able to like meet people. It's just, you just really can't. It's like, at least I've got like my flat and stuff. I've got like people I can speak to and like a shared living space and got people across the hall and shit like that. So it's just, I don't know. I don't think living in a city is the worst thing in the world, especially when you're young. When you're older, you want to be like, fuck off like everyone else. Now I know who I want to be with. You go in some like little co cottage when you're like 50. That sounds like a good time for it. Well, yeah. no, I think it's a good idea if you don't want to if at some point you want to start saving money or, I mean, I guess it goes to when you want to start a family. So I'm one of these, you know, people who are like advocating for people to start families before they turn 40, maybe like 20 would be better to start having kids instead of waiting for 35. So if you live in the city and you want to have a kid, all you're thinking about is I have to do this. I have to do that. The, the, the costs just add up. But if you live in somewhere where the school system is at least remotely decent, you can send your kids to school and you can feed them and it's not like going to be this huge extra expense, then uh, you're more likely to start having kids sooner as opposed to you live in the city. You're going to wait because you're like, man, I can only afford a one-bedroom apartment. I can't afford a two-bedroom apartment. Or I have to buy uniforms for kids. Or daycare is $600 a week for infants. Actually, it's kind of hard to start a family. Yeah, well, and also when I lived in cities, uh, all these artists were like, oh, yeah, I, I would love to make 
you know, this piece that I actually care about, but I can't because I have to do this and that and the other thing for the work, which actually makes me, it reminds me about what you were saying about having children. And as somebody that has never wanted to have children, I just want to say that you can, repro you can reproduce culturally as well as yes. biologically. Mm -hmm. And actually, especially for women, um, because so much of the childcare falls on women, uh, and by and by the way, Info Warlock, I would disagree with your statement. I think uh, that Sophia's monologues are extremely relevant to what we're talking about here. Everyone but, gives and, monologues, man. We've got, yes, all got to give a monologue. It's exactly. the break the monologue podcast. So someone's exactly. gonna come in like me. And so. by the way, <laughs> one thing one thing that I have not been doing this entire podcast because of that whole uh, D Live debacle. So we're gonna have to figure out how we're gonna approach D Live from now on because I don't want the YouTube jammies to go against them anyway. What I wanted to get to here is, guys, subscribe right now. Everybody who is watching, subscribe to this channel. We got to grow this thing. We got to expand to all these other networks. And you got to understand, we are doing this for the long haul. We want free speech. We want, you know, all the craziness to go on in the chat while at the same time making sure that we can function and that we can survive. They're purging creators left and right like Nino. Nina, you know, like now on Twitter, they've been purging so many people, so many of the people that we've been following. Like, Gio, you've, exper you've seen this too, right? Uh, well, yeah, but the, the recent purge on Twitter that uh, was probably due to uh, things like uh, the election coverage and... and um... They really, they're really going, they're really going apoplectic. Like there's people that I know for a fact do not post like, you know, naughty, naughty, no, no, no words or offend people. Well, it's just, it's incredible. You can get, you can get kicked off of Twitter for sharing the dictionary definition of woman. Yeah. Even if, if, just if you are God a doesn't woman. like you, then you're gone. Right? Yeah. That's hate speech. Dictionary. <laughs> But we are always in the presence of the enemy on social media sites. So, and myself, are you going to do some more performance art this stream? Well, I was trying. Yeah. The thing is, I didn't get a good chance to decide why. I don't know why I put on like a bunch of shirts. This is the thing I've got going on. This is what I've got. Oh like, wow! Yeah, I myself. Just, he always I was comes on. Sweating. I was like, he's done, still sweating. He's done various things. He's painted himself red. He's uh, on stream. He's uh, put his camera in a blender on stream. <laughs> So, oh, uh, this is the Blender guy. Yeah, Blender guy. That was Blender guy. Like, I uh, showed somebody that clip. It was. Oh, you need to make a, a a short of that. I need to make a short of a lot of things, Sophia. You're absolutely right. Oh, there's there's oh, like a list. Sweating. It's just like I could just. I kind of want to just cut like a knife down and ruin all my shirts, but I think that's a bit too extreme even for me. So he's like, uh, myself is like the GG Allen of BTR. That's the best way. Yeah. Like, I don't know, Nina, if you grew up uh, around the time that GG Allen was hanging out. And uh, I mean, you were. Well, she was on Jerry Springer. She must know about GG Allen. I, yeah. I dated a guy who toured with GG Allen once. Whoa. Oh. Beast. Wow. Was, what, it the what, what? was it the nudist drummer? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Trans people and GG Allen crew. So, so you were um. That's Bro another G. topic I wanted to discuss. You, I read this article you wrote about um sex work. I hate using that term, but yeah, you were dominating for a time. Yeah, now people should really read that article. That that article was hard to write. My goodness, it took me a long time to write it. It was a bit of a 
so for people who didn't read it maybe just give a brief like yeah you can just put the put the link in there yeah i mean it's it's like i'm 52 now i am so happy to like not have a sex drive now oh god (laughs) it's such it's fantastic i mean i didn't know i mean there's like a little one right but like i was i was so driven when i was young and i just think about the oh i I just just, (laughs) everybody subscribe to the stream right now for the sake of myself how many oh my god that was like uh, nine or ten shirts. That was pretty much, yeah, that was the last one. Watch the nipples. Oh. Yeah, no nipples, or else they're going to channy us off the screen. Exactly. So, lo- oh. Lower yourself down. Lower yourself down. Why am I doing this? Yeah, we don't, we don't know your gender, so you could be. Lower, no. No, we saw the nipple. No, go down. Go it's down. fine. Okay. Okay. It's fine. Down, down. Never allow nipple. Bones. Okay. It's fine. But anyway, when I think about like all the, all the shit I did and just the trouble I got into and, you know, just because I was, it was, it was like hormones. And it's like, what the hell? I mean, I think of myself as, you know, a reasonable, intelligent person, but it's just, it's so hard to live with that. So, well, so you mean to tell me that a Jewish woman is a dominatrix and, and people paid money for you to dominate them sexually? People? What you... <laughs> what, what, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sexually? I'm getting... <laughs> and, and if so, what were the rates? You got a real crush in the don't you, Chakazinski? This is before I made Seder masochism, let me tell you. And also, at this time, you you really need to read the article. I mean, I realize this is like fodder for jokes, but that's one of the problems with talking about it this way is that we just sort of fall into people's expectations Mm. of what this is. Well, it it kind of does remind me in a way. This pen doesn't even work. I know. It's invisible ink. Invisible ink, unfortunately. For it to show up. So when it comes to something like uh, going back to circumcision for a second, I don't know if this is exactly why it was done, but beyond like any of the health-related reasons they talked about, the um, the uh, what do you call it, the uh, um, foreskin, it is the most sensitive part of a man's penis. And once you get rid of that, the sensation is not going to be as intense. All right, okay. well, it's true, though. I mean, let's be honest. If we're talking about biology, like, that is that, that is but, what but, happens. But, Lev, you only have yours, right? You don't know yes. what it's like. Now, oh, I... They, that's, they've done that's studies we have... that, that men who ha- still have it intact, they experience uh, quotidians of pleasure more. And uh, the whole thing about infections, that's largely uh, nonsense. Right. No, um, I'm, I'm not an advocate of circumcision at no, all. No, no, I'm just... I, I know when this that... topic comes... My personal experience. What is what is myself doing? Rather extensive and with a variety, is uh, in spite of all of this. The the there's you know from my perspective, there has been negligible difference. Like in terms of the, uh, you know, not scientifically measured, but you know as I would measure response. Um, 
respond it's been negligible and i am i'm opposed to circumcision uh i mean unless people want to do it themselves mm. but, I'm, I'm but the reason the reason why i was mentioning it yeah, has point... to do with uh, the uh, like the lack of uh if there is a lack of pleasure that men would feel from this according to the studies and again i can't testify to anything but my well, own there's experience. a big subculture of of, of people on restoration restoration that regret it and... yeah yeah but but what i was getting to here is slightly different though when you compare that to something like let's say christian monks or buddhist monks for this matter shaving their hair there is you know like with the whole legend of samson whose hair you know it's like right. really long and it gives him strength vigor or if you look at somebody like maria maria orsic who if you don't know she was the uh one of the ladies of the uh vril society or thule society the progenitor of like the nazi party back in the day you know like this occult organization that supposedly made contact with ufos and stuff like that anyway she had really the UFOs long are hair, demons. like yes, she had long hair, like cousin it from the Adams family, and there was this cousin idea it. that the longer hair you have, the more you're able to like with an antenna connect it to more you know like spiritual <laughs> things, and in a way like when the monks shave their hair, you think, wait, aren't they supposed to be spiritual? Why would they shave their hair? The reason what I, uh, that I was given is that they are letting their sensory like sensory extensions not function so they would not be of the earth but that they would single like singly focus just on receiving the lord receiving the lord and not receiving right. any of the other nature spirits or anything of that sort so in a way like leaving us as we are with the long flowing hair with the foreskin with whatever it is like extensions to feel sensuality because nature like shakti or whatever you want to call it you know like the cycle of birth and death and all that this is in a way the spirit being kept within maya being kept within this whole cosmic dance as opposed to getting out of it and going, you know, somewhere, somewhere beyond. So in a way, I think a lot of these religious practices in their more esoteric natures, that may be what they have been alluding to this sort of like getting out of the cycle of uh, death and rebirth through all these various processes. Now that is just my take. And I'm not saying that's exactly what was going on, but I'm curious. So uh, curious. what you think? Sure. <laughs> Sure. I mean, we're, we're such creatures of civilization, right? Like we talk, <laughs> nice scissors. Myself is really trying to get attention. It's working, I, I That's my, there. my whole stick is just doing my own thing, really. I don't know. I, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, uh, we're trying to have a conversation <laughs> here. <laughs> the non sequitur. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's I've I've heard the thing about the long hair. I just I just wanted to break in with the thing about the the circumcision, which is that uh, it's it doesn't have as big an effect as people claim that it does, unless something goes wrong, and I have encountered that as well. But uh, we yeah we live in civilization, and there's lots of denial involved. I mean, none of us live you know anything like our pre-civilized ancestors do none of us you know go out uh -huh. and we we have we're we're very cut off from the natural world that that we came from uh and we're all very heady right we're very literate there's a great book called i think it's called orality and literacy i think i have a copy of it here which talks about how 
how differently fundamentally you think when you are literate. So uh, people who do not read, or, or I should say, you know, who are in cultures where that's okay, you know, where they're not like persecuted for that, but, but pre-literate cultures, just completely different to a way that we can't really even imagine thinking that way. We are so civilized and we can't go back. It's like once, once you're literate, you cannot become pre-literate. Mm, I mean, can't. there is a way through meditation to, uh, I, I guess for my own return personal experiences, yeah, well, not exactly return to monkey. I mean, like if we flip it the other <laughs> way around, if we say that it may be possible uh, and take it however you want, but it may be possible for human beings to have more of a uh, internal communication for them to be able to like, uh, I don't know, like be able to have such a strong intuition that you can mm -hmm. look at somebody and you could sense what exactly they're thinking. I'd say that as a baseline, people have described things like that. I haven't personally experienced that. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, you could kind of tell like, but anyway, I wonder where the end is. I wonder where the limitation is. Like my whole thing, Nina, is I see the entire existence as being made. I know this may be egocentric or whatever, but I see it being made for the sake of having the experiences all of us are having as the experiencers as opposed to just a random process of events. And that's why I think that there are other experiences we can have where we can be much more in tune with other people. Like, think of the Satya Yuga, for example, the golden age in uh, Advaita Vedanta, wherein Satya means truth. How do you make a truthful society? Well, a truthful society would exist if you could kind of tell what everybody else was thinking all the time. That way everybody would be on the same page and there wouldn't be as much friction. We would be seen more as like the fingers of a hand, you know, but as at the same time being aware of that. Because I think like animals, like schools of fish, if you notice like the beautiful patterns like the birds go into and the zebras when they're running across the savanna, they do seem to act like hands, uh, like fingers of a hand. And I think human beings could also get into that mode while at the same time being more aware of themselves as both this collective while as well as individuals at the same time. Now, well, we do, we do act like fingers of a hand. I don't know, have you ever seen Kwanaskatsi? No, what's that? Oh, was that the um the the, the first film the first film with Samsara and Baraka? That was the first one, right? They made in the eighties. This. Yeah, I mean, the, all of these patterns you can see humans acting yeah. in these patterns as well. We we're not necessarily we're not conscious of it, but we're we move in herds and we move in. Yeah, so that that movie has that, but arg. Shoot, so much at once. All right, so there are moments. Yes, yeah, certainly we can experience moments of communion with reality. But what we don't do, for example, because we are literate, is we do not um, we do not communicate culture as we used to. I mean, how do you memorize an epic poem? Right there, there was no there was no writing things down. There was, you know, you would you would sing like uh, Song, yeah. the way, yeah, the way music and memory work together. They really help people communicate cultural things, and we don't do that. We don't sit around and sing uh, to each other. We. I'm kind of glad we don't do that. I don't know. Like yeah. I like the idea we of reading, do. but I'm, I don't want to sing. We used together. to. We, we do, do a little bit in my community. We do. 
yeah. especially yeah. within the churches, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing. And my family particularly, we definitely engage in that type of, especially through music, because I come from a musical family. So we definitely uh, engage in that type of um, passing of the culture through music. But it is, again, one of those things that if if you are not like with your family or whatever the case may be, it's just not something that's necessarily going to be strong, uh, a strong presence in your life anymore. But there are uh, in in the country, it's a it's kind of a common thing, I think. Cool. I was once on a well, not once. I was twice at this Russian animation festival that takes place on a boat Croc. called Croc. Yes. And the first time I went, which was in, it was like 2000 approximately, they sang. Like they would just, they all had instruments and they got together and sang. And it was great, right? They also drank their asses off, which is not something I can do. (laughs) I'd say the two could be connected. Yeah. Oh gosh. The French do this, the Germans, Italians do it. Especially, okay, a great way, a, way, a great first, first world way to see this is go on vacation. If you go on vacation to any, like, uh, resort, you'll see the different communities, right? And how they act. Germans, Not at a resort, no. At a resort, you're just isolated from everything. And no, 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 not necessarily. No, I mean, I mean at the, the people at the resort. You know what I'm talking about, right? You this is why resorts must be banned. They're not yeah, they're not travel. great, but but they're not, they're not, they're not good. But, but what you will see is this. You'll see how... You know, they'll, they'll be a group of Spaniards or a group of Germans or a group of French or a group of whatever. And they'll have a certain, they'll act different than the rest of the people that are there. Um, often it, it show, it's, it's kind of cultural, specifically cultural, right? Like the Germans will get super, super hammered. But they'll constantly. They'll all say, get super hammered. That's the thing. It's like oh, the French will get super hammered and the Germans will get super the, the French French guys are, are very, um. They start hitting on people legitimately. You see these things, right? Um, right. It, 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 the 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 sort of nuances of the culture start to get shown in, in in these ways, and I think music is is a great example of this. Um, a lot of the pre- people that I that I know that are sort of like English or British, they don't have this thing. They don't. Sorry, are you saying the British don't uh, drink excessively on holiday? Is that seriously? Oh, what no, you're trying no, to say? I'm not saying that they don't drink excessively on holiday. And they definitely do sing together. Um, We're like the wor- notoriously the worst people abroad. Well, like well, British, yeah, you are. You the are. British. Well, young British women, they go to India for vacations and they buy that particular pattern of pants and they uh, have relations with the Indian guru and they discover themselves that way. So <laughs> sounds sounds <laughs> but so anyways uh i wanted to move on to that that article um where you were talking about how you were involved in like nine the first like what would you call it was the sec was the third wave nine yeah yeah the 90s like third waiver yes sex positive sex posi yes the sex positive movement. sex pause a tip so uh, (laughs) yeah so you were involved in that scene and absolutely this this was when the whole this is when feminism really went from strictly culture warrior stuff to 
really cementing itself within culture itself. So you had like Riot Girl, like Bikini Kill, uh, stuff like that. And you had no, like- Oh, um, I mean, when you say this is when feminism did blah, blah, blah. It's yeah, like, I know it's kind of- there, There's always yeah. been, I mean, first- Yeah, been, there, there was, yeah, there was like, you know, Marilyn Minter, Laurie Simmons in the art world. And there was, yeah. I mean, Andrea, so like I, yeah, I think I wrote in the article that I never- at that time, I didn't read Andrea Dworkin because she was a dirty word. And yeah, I, this no, was... it was in a different, no, a different article I, I wrote was about Andrea Dworkin. really ugly lady, right? Am I uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, it, turns Gino, out, right? it turns out by, by hindsight, she was based in Red Pill. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. There's that debate, like, like there's that debate nowadays, like turfs to the real trad wives sort of deal, but uh, no. So this was the nineties. This was sex positivity. This was, uh, there, there were different things. So it was, this was the, um, angry lesbians with acoustic guitars. It was the beginning of the end. No, the eighties was the beginning of the end of what we would call radical feminism. I didn't even know. Yes. Feminism yeah. The, existed. By the time the second Reagan term, it was already oh, like wait, quick, quick question. Philip Daniel asks, what does Nina think of Camille Paglia? That is a great question, right? So when I think about when I was younger and believed that I thought for myself, but really was much more influenced by the people around me. For example, that's the reason I didn't read Andrea Dworkin. That's the reason that I read hardly any Camille Paglia because, uh, and I still haven't, but uh, I did something when I was young that I feel I don't feel terrible about it because it's a typical young person thing, right? But I was on some same radio show that Camille Paglia was on. She went on before me and I made this cartoon just mocking her <laughs> because, <laughs> because I had only read, uh, you know, I did that thing where like, so, you know, friends that didn't like Camille Paglia had like a few quotes from Camille Paglia and they were like, oh, she said this, right? She's horrible because she said this. And I was like, yeah, that is horrible. Okay, I'm not going to bother reading her whole book. Well, what was the book gonna... Geo tried to get me to read? The, oh, the 720 well, page that. one. Because... That was the first thing. Like, I asked Geo for a book recommendation. It's like, oh, just read the 720 page essay. Oh, no, my point. I don't, I don't want to get off too off track here. No, right? Right, sorry, sorry. I didn't read because... her thing. I did a cartoon mocking her as though I. I mean, I, this is what young people do, right? Like, if there had been a cancel thing for cancel Camille Paglia, I would have participated in that because that's what young people do. They base their opinions on what the people around them have and they, they don't actually read the stuff in question and think about it critically. So yeah, my take on Camille Paglia is I still haven't read her stuff. I just feel a little bit bad having been canceled myself as, as an older person should have listened <laughs> that I was, you know, that I, I did that so easily and so uncritically. Did, did she respond to the cartoon, by the way? No, of course not. It's just a dumb oh. cartoon. I mean, she shouldn't. It's like, I mean, I get <laughs> I get worse shit than that about me all the time. I wonder if someone it's digs it responding up. To. By the <laughs> way, I, oh, I found it. I, I'm going to Oh, you already it. found it, bro. I was going yes. to say that uh, cedar masochism... Uh, cedar... Cedar. Cedar. Fuck cedar. Cedar. Cedar masochism actually comes off with a lot of similar themes to sexual persona. So maybe you should finally read Sexual Persona. Yeah, and I, I have friends that have that have read her more recently, and they're like, she's actually interesting, you know. And so, and and I can believe that. But this is total like late '80s, early '90s cartoon stuff. Wow, this is like 
this is real shit. But um, yeah. So you you were in the sex positivity culture, and you were a dominatrix, and uh, you were talking about how you felt incredibly alienated from that scene because you were told by people around you that it's meaningless and it's not real sex, it's not real sexuality. Uh, it not was that, not it, that it's meaningless, but just meaningless, that but... just that it's not like I believed that I I believed that it wasn't sex, right? Because. Mm-hmm uh people said like oh it's no sex you know it's like it's power dynamics it's theater it's blah blah i mean the fact was i was you know really skinny at that time my head was uh i buzzed my head um and wore a wig and put on a ton of makeup and i looked hot right and in spite of all of this bullshit around it what these men were paying for was to interact with a hot looking young woman with a lot of makeup on in a stupid costume. How long did you do this for? The whole This is thing. before the OnlyFans. <laughs> no, I know, but how long was it like a thing for? Like how long did you consistently do this? Pimping, oh, how long did I do it? Of... Yeah, yeah. I know, like <laughs> half, a, half a year. Uh, okay, not too long. Maybe, maybe more. Maybe. I mean, it was, it was like part of an entire year of discovery, <laughs> exploration, oh, and oh, experimentation. God. Um, feel, sorry. But Do you the, ever feel like the, we're reducing their sense of like self worth by doing shit like that? Like I don't know. I feel like all that kind of shit makes like prostitution and porn just makes like men feel shit about themselves at the end of the day. I don't know. Yeah. yeah well, it, it's it's not a healthy attitude towards sex. But the thing is, at the time, I knew that, and that's what I was mm. writing about. Was it's like if if older me talked to younger me. Mm. and tried to say uh don't do this you can't actually put into words the way that it fucks you up and i would not have believed it if i hadn't experienced it it had a a devastating effect on my libido although i don't mind you know it's like that's a whole Mm. other there was that there was that chart that was posted which i haven't really taken the deep look at but it was basically showing how like the fewer sex partners a woman would have across her lifetime like the more she she bond yeah the more pair bonding like i don't know like i haven't taken that deep of a look to see whether that happens or whether there are exceptions to it but what's been always interesting to me personally is that we had on alexander bard i don't know nina if you know him he's a very interesting swedish guy i bet the two of you would have a great time talking with each other but uh he talked about how there is a class of people who he also puts in like you know sexual entertainers things of that nature mm-hmm. into this uh uh what, what was that word like this tantric practitioner class and he says that it's important for them to be separate separate from like the normies from people who may be honestly better off just like finding somebody in high school and marrying them and all that and i understand that people have horrible experiences there too like you could wind up with somebody that you have no love for whatsoever but then the big question to me has always been with the advent of more of a liberalistic outlook on life in terms of like the big numbers like huge numbers of people who may be more like somebody who would be much more easily influenced one way or another from advertising from school from their community the question is 
what is the right kind of input for most people in order to, number one, make sure that the true artists, people who are able to, you know, create really beautiful things, aren't held down by an oppressive system, while at the yep. same time allowing there to be harmony amongst most people to continue having more solid communities. Yeah, I got I got no answers, and it's not like I can look at the stuff I did and just go like that was you know immoral and wrong. It's like I I can't do that. I can say that it fucked me up, um, and that I I I'll say this about sex though. Sex sex really is a mystery, and uh, it is treated like it's not, and. Mm. Uh, and I remember, I remember coming of age and knowing, you know, like having people say that. And I was like, but why, but why? And I had to do all this shit, right? Like I had to, I had to break it for myself in my pursuit of understanding it. Ultimately, there's no real understanding of it. You can, you can break it or not. But, but I, I feel, but that's the danger is that people go through this without, truly understanding and then when you have a culture that promotes it's it's funny we have a you know you could say that we have a culture that promotes uh meaningless transient sterile relations but in the actuality we have a culture that at one end is oversexed but at the other end we are the generation that has the least amount of sex you have the least sex and you have the most counters. porn i feel so bad yeah, exactly. for y'all so like i hate porn that's i i'm heartened to hear that but that's the thing, but it's so crazy to see someone like yourself who went through that like 90s sex positivity that really morphed itself in actuality it morphed itself into the early to mid 2000s where the newer millennial generation of feminists came up and they were influenced by like reading fucking Jezebel and, and stuff like that. So, but to see you live through all of that and now you're coming out the other end uh, no pun intended, but say, uh, and saying, uh, I mean, there's consequences to. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not a prude, right? Like, and I thought, like, oh, you're either. No, I would not pick. I would not figure you for a prude. Don't it's worry. It's like I had this, but I, the the thing with like the young people today that are canceling me and who are acting so righteous and so religious, and I mean, I actually I have some compassion for them, right? They're incredibly annoying. But I was them. I mean, I, I acted like that. It was a phase that I went through. Um, well, at least you were in a furry. At least I was. That's, <laughs> oh, God. I don't know how many well, women these furries. People, these yes. people never come out of that phase, though. They just go from, I mean, well, like, that's why being I'm 35. So these people have been like this since they were 16. To, I mean, I've, people I've known from, like, Middle, elementary school they're the same exact way with the judgmental and the canceling mm. and if you don't follow the exact path that everyone else follows they just write you off as a as a non-entity i mean it just i, I just wonder with my generation specifically are they ever even going to come out of it because i don't see light at the end of the tunnel there's a good question in the chat is sex positivity porn really feels like another construction yeah, i mean in reality like you have to look at uh the old school radical feminists the ones that are still here like derek jensen who talks about how derek Jens. okay well you're you're you you're <laughs> Your terminology is a little. I love Derek Jensen. Actually, oh, you're, good. You're not talking about Derek Jensen. You're talking about the other Jensen. 
Yeah, no, no, no. But Derek Jensen, the environmental, the deep ecologist, you yeah, know. Yeah, he's he's great, but but you're you're tossing the word around feminist in an in an But he calls way. himself a radical, like a, a rad fem, like an old No, school. he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. No, because he knows. But he's a second waiver. He's one yeah, of the Yeah, no, he he's he's into radical feminist analysis for sure. And he applies but he, he's gender critical and he applies that analysis. Oh, obviously, yeah. He, I mean yeah. He had a great interview recently with Keith Woods of all people, which I mean, I think Derek is in his point in his career where he doesn't care if people like. No, I, really I love the, I love Derek Jensen. I the, love him. It's yeah. just that it's just that I don't think Derek Jensen would really be down. Like I think he I think he understands feminism enough. Yeah, so that he would not call himself a radical feminist. Right. Okay, I understand. Because, yeah, because he I'm using. <laughs> yeah, I'm using the '80s definition. So, so yeah, he he really doesn't care about being canceled at this point. I mean, even going on with controversial figures like uh, Keith Keith Woods does really important work, but it's yeah. But anyways, that's besides the point. Um, what he oh, we have a great. About... Oh, go on. Oh, go ahead. And I'll say the comment. Yeah, yeah. So well... he says that um, he talks about how sex positivity is a way of the dominator ego of capital to recapitulate its further like and i disagree with it obviously but in some ways i disagree but i get he's right in the sense that it's a way to instantiate a more nuanced form of domination of the female body and the female uh, essence by say, selling them an identity that this is ultimately liberation. So through false liberation, you get an even yeah. more elaborate form of alienation through sex positivity, because now if you convince young women that doing OnlyFans is not just a way to get rich, but a way, and of course, OnlyFans is a way of, let's face it, there's they're doing research as we speak about how it filters young women into prostitution. By saying that all of this stuff is good, you're really just objectifying women and the, the female uh, body even more, but doing it in such a sophisticated and nuanced way that you're selling them an identity of liberation yes. that conveniently, conveniently is also very added, uh, conveniently is also very uh, suitable to be commodified and, and to, you know, capitalist realism can work to further instantiate this false liberation that really is just another form of alienation. But anyways, Lev, go ahead. That's it's very theory oh. stylish type shit. No, I wanted that, that, that's, that's, I, I would agree with all of that. And yeah. I would also say that I'm, uh, so when Lev like posted without, um, irony or or rancor like as a selling point for this podcast that I had done an interview with Jordan Peterson now most of the circles <laughs> that I interact oh, with that's they a third, yeah hate live Jordan Peterson right like I like yeah. Jordan Peterson but they hate him. I mean, mostly I'm, I'm pretty like, I'm like yeah. well, Lena, you didn't really know that much about what BTR was. The only thing you remember is we went to this nice Japanese restaurant with Shibana back in the day, New York animation community, 2004. All of a sudden I message you about this. You don't know what you like. I understand. I understand why you would have that reaction to like, Oh my God, he posted Jordan Peterson. How? No, no, it's how, good. It's good. No. It's, yeah. 
Yeah, no, but the, but the point here is, is that I think that because BTR was able to connect with a community of people that have gone far beyond Jordan Peterson into, I mean, like the conversations we were having today, going into a lot of deep waters, it's a very important thing to be able to bring people like yourself on and other people who are from, you know, like a generation that's not crazy and to be able to speak with people who are crazy. Yeah. Well, relatively speaking, being able <laughs> no, to bring in the people really from, from, up, your, from your generation and talk with people who I think a lot of people in Gen Z uh, have been recoiling, relatively speaking, a lot. We're all fucked up. Like, I think we're yes. honestly like I, this whole like it's not just Corona. It's like this whole fucking weird thing with human existence. And we're going in some fucking weird path. I feel yeah. super alienated from everything. This is why I come on here. Have an existential crisis drawing on myself. It's just nice. like I, exactly. I but and anyway, what I was trying doing. to say, what I was trying to say about Jordan Peterson and all this, and what you're saying about porn is so like a lot of the the feminists that I know, um, they really hate him, and I'm just like, he's not a feminist, okay? He's not. I actually think he's pretty clueless about women, but also I don't care because he speaks to men. And he's saying things to men that I want men to engage with, right? Like, um, I'm so heartened by hearing y'all thinking critically about porn. That's, that's not something I hear much from men. And I, my understanding is that Jordan Peterson is critical of porn as well. And it's like, this is awesome, right? Because if you heard a bunch of feminists telling, criticizing porn and telling you that porn is bad, like you're not going to listen to us and also you don't you don't necessarily care it's like it's men need to talk about about porn with other men right like this is a porn addiction is largely a men's issue and men have to talk about it and men have to solve it just as women's liberation is a woman's issue right so i don't expect jordan peterson to get it or talk about it or promote it i'm really happy that men are doing this. And I'm also happy that, you know, I finally personally figured out that it's not men's responsibility. Like, I don't want men to be feminists, right? Like, it, it's silly. It's men, men have men's experiences. I have women's experience. So um, feminism's for women. <laughs> well, while, while we're on the subjects of Jordan Peterson, I'd like to remind everyone listening to say a prayer that he might finally be liberated from his succubus daughter. Yes, uh, yes. Additionally, additionally, if you watch porn, you're, you're, uh, well, I want to use words to describe you. I don't know how the YouTube no, They're doing do insult people because people are going through like a bunch of fucking shit. Like I try and cut that shit out. It's just, the yeah, but that's but that's just not how you talk to men. If you if you really want men to kick a bad habit, you can't coddle them. You have to remind them. Well, that not you're coddling, a fuck- but it's just like you have to bully insulting doesn't fucking you, you, explain you the got, issue. You gotta bully people. You no, you've you got to no, you remind people. You've got to remind people of what they're doing to themselves and what they're becoming. You got to remind people that you look like a fucking loser sitting hunched over a yes, computer you do, monitor, but you've jerking got to give yourself them off. But, but Chad, <laughs> Rather than I just think, calling them a loser. Well, Chad, I think that there is already a mechanism that reminds people of that way better than anybody saying anything. All Post these not memes clarity. that are co- well, all these memes that are <laughs> coming exactly. out right now. 
All these memes that are coming out right now of like, uh, what do you call it? Like the soy face. Like, uh, Nina, have you heard of soy face? No. Okay, so when somebody gets really excited about a product, they would open their mouth wide and make this smile, and it looks completely fake. And they a smile, see a lot it's of a people thing of, it's an expression of pain, that's what it is. Yes, it is an expression of pain in a way. But the idea here is that there's so many examples that I think whatever is going on right now in society and the way things are being self-corrected through the virtue of actually having images online that people can look at and see this is an example of somebody who is addicted to porn or this is an example of somebody who values all these little Star Wars knickknacks, you know, while, uh, uh, you know, not caring about his girlfriend banging some other guy and just this idea of weakness going back to this whole idea of like uh, you know that whole quote about uh, strong men make good times good times make weak men weak men make bad times so the idea and bad times make strong men the idea is I think a lot of people today want to become the strong men of the weak of the bad times that they're currently in because they are seeing a lot of weakness they're not seeing that much of an example of you know like leadership or somebody who embodies certain great archetypes like back in the day you could say you could say that the same people exist today but if you look at the 20th century you do end up seeing so many different historical figures regardless of whether they're you know good or evil or whatever who inhabited a certain quality that will make them stand out as classic figures throughout history and today it's like who can we point at and say okay this is an example of someone who has you know that high of a degree of character it's it almost seems like people have degraded and i'm not saying this is the case i'm saying this is the impression people are getting today online that people have degraded to such an extent because of all the creature comforts that they uh you know that there's no great example to follow and people feel lost but some people want to be that person some people want to take matters into their own hands and elevate themselves up spiritually physically this is why we do have a lot of these esoteric bodybuilding communities on twitter rising up right now because they don't like the weakness and they want to get better but uh i don't know like have you been exposed to this other side of other side of it basically where people are reacting to what they perceive as weakness and uh i'm just curious uh, what you think about that i can tell you what came to mind when you were talking was uh Weakness and stuff aside, I think all of us, but especially younger generations, because we spend so much time on the internet, we are alienated from our own bodies and from physical reality. And, you know, even I struggle with this and I didn't grow up with the internet, but just, um, uh, I mean, and porn is part of this, right? Like people are not, you, you youngsters, you're not, you know, getting jiggy with each other. You're, you're using porn, <laughs> which yeah. is a lot well, more well, convenient. The, the body easy. is no longer a vector for communication or intimacy. Like in the early internet days, the way they envisioned things being that you had transportable avatars between sites where you would like go into physical like VR worlds with your avatar and you would shop like there would be a physical shop kind of like Second Life. But nowadays the consumer model of the internet has basically eliminated the need for the body itself. And there's a weird sort of uh, like, what would you say, um, like pod existence, human battery, Wally type stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like another, it's like created. another, 
it's like another step of what we were talking about before people not reciting stories anymore that they keep in their heads. This was the argument that was given uh, by Socrates, where he exactly. was lamenting yes. the invention of writing. And it seems right. like every step of the mm. way, it gets worse and worse and worse. Like the television set, we d or, you know, the radio, we don't need to use our imagination to create the stories or the stories that have been passed on either through vocalization or through a book. Now we have sounds that we listen to, and we get those stories that way. Television adds another layer. Now we can't use our imagination to visualize things anymore. We rely on all this externalization. And again, I would prefer people to watch your animations as opposed to many other animations and movies uh, while we still have this ability to do so, uh, that being said. But now the next step with the internet is we can click something, get it instantly. And so all these other processes inside of us seem to be degrading where all we are left with, honestly, for the most part. And you can see this on Twitter with people with all their hashtags, hashtag BLM, hashtag whatever, like all the hashtag people, they seem to be like puppets now, like tubes through which information goes through, comes out the other end and goes into some other tube. And so the whole idea of what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to live? All of a sudden goes by the wayside if we're just receptacles of one piece of information from one end to the other. And that's why feel, I think it's going to fall apart. But I feel like the reaction to this is equally in some ways... Um, without offending too many people uh, on our side of things. I feel that the reaction to it is equally towards propendency to get involved in certain uh, e-relations and parasocial relations and cults of personality, but also a sort of weird like Gnosticism where because the culture is so ingratiated with the obsessions and sexual neuroses, then therefore I have to totally mortify the body in another way like recently as everyone's been following on our side of twitter this uh recent tweet someone did comparing uh modern pornography to renaissance art saying well it's the same thing it was some some orthodox person uh but it's it's i feel that that's an extreme response to an extreme age and as much as i virulently disagree with the take i i do notice that um you, you can't, my advice would be you can't LARP these things. I mean, you can't become a sort of like stereotype of what you want to achieve in life, whether it's uh, an activist or a, a trad or whatnot. And I feel that these extreme schizophrenic responses to what's going on nowadays is further compounded by the age that we live in and the information overload that younger people are experiencing all the time. So you have, to, so in the internet, it seems that you gravitate towards the absolute fringes and everything for a reason, because the threshold of information is high. Whereas with anonymity, the threshold of personal um, effect and comportment towards your own life with what you're putting out there is very low. So you can have very extreme opinions, you know, unless you get doxxed, but you can sort of have extreme views of life because it just turns into this like giant MMORPG where you're just going on the internet and your life outside of the internet is completely different. But oh, lo and behold, now everyone's life is on the internet. So you like your life is the internet itself. So it's the weird, like it's creating, it's basically like a melting pot of schizophrenia in my opinion, but you know, 
I, 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 yeah, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> when I, when I think about people's behavior, their terrible behavior on social media, um, I just, I'm aware that these people are sitting there like humans have never been in this position where we're being this stimulated without moving our bodies at all. The wire head. Yeah. We're wire heads. So, so we're getting like flooded with adrenaline while just sitting here. I just want to fight. I want to fucking fight with someone, man. Like I'm yeah. sick of sitting around. But the problem is, I go out for jobs. <laughs> I can only do so much on my own. I'm fucking waiting. I'm like, when people like Chad or disagree with them, I just want to be like, you know what? Let's fucking fight. Because it's like, forget like him. I don't believe in sorting works, but I think fighting is a, a valid thing to like, you know. You, you should be fighting wrong. Physically, I fight people yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. physically. Instead be, like, of talking bullshit words, that's I know why it's, like, I tell the people to thing, but... do martial arts. Because it's no, a but it's like fucking contact life. sports are fucking banned right like now because the whole corona. Yes, thing. yes, like... that, that is a that is a problem. You can't yeah. really do jujitsu by yourself. When I, mean, I was doing boxing, right, like briefly while this was happening, it was oh. shit and it was so muddy coddled. This like big Santa guy was like, "Well, you can do what you want and stuff." No, I don't want to be insulted when I'm doing shit, but I, I do need someone to go. No, you're going to do this. This is what you need to do. Someone to push me. So I fucking want that because I'm like fucking want to exercise and it's just okay. I'm sick of everything being oh second place or oh, everyone gets an award I fucking fucking beat the shit out of me and like make me actually need to do more fucking push-ups and shit honestly I need to mm. fucking I need to maybe Nina motivation. maybe Nina can resurrect her dom persona and no no he needs a he needs a figure he needs a man and unfortunately, Jordan tell him what to do. becoming the father figure for... I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I need to fight mm. against him. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, by the way, Jordan, that's what I need. Speaking Jordan Peterson, now that he's back, uh, and I know it's a forbidden topic, but can somebody explain the Wendigo psychosis? Uh, <laughs> uh, so no, don't, Nina, not, do not research. <laughs> so that Nina uh, understands what, what exactly is going on there. I'm familiar to... with Wendigo. You know what a Wendigo is? Yeah. Should we tell her? Okay. Um, yeah, it's Wendigo it. psychosis. So there's this uh, idea that if you, um, among <laughs> among certain tribes, that if you eat human flesh, that is how you become the Wendigo, right? Uh, a Wendigo become is a is a shaman who has partaken in that most like forbidden of flesh. So the idea is in Jordan Peterson's travels upon the earth, he has eaten of the flesh of humanity, and now he is becoming like that's it explains everything you know you know it's one of those um his uh his disappearance where was he he was under Wait, is this something jordan peterson's saying or something people are saying about him no it's people uh, something people are saying about jordan yeah that's a little concerning yes of course um, <laughs> yeah. he's don't wor watch out <laughs> he's coming in the night jordan peterson <laughs> is gonna break in and, and eat you that's the that's that's the truth of this one. Yeah. It's uh, funny. I, I'm it, a fan of that one. It's it's pretty funny. I'm I'm, I think I got more exercise this year than any previous year. Like lots of exercise and lots of. You have that bike, right? Yeah, bicycling. It's great. Yeah, just stay off the road because for some people, <laughs> for some reason, people in cars just have a frothing rage and hatred for people on bikes. Yeah, <laughs> well, just, driving next manifest. to a bike, a bicyclist is kind of like- <laughs> Yes, it, I agree. Know, I've done it many times. I but have like you driven next bikes. to a Velomobile? The Velomobile confuses them. A 
Because the Velmobile has hard edges and they're not sure what it is and they give it much more room. Or I mean, it has curved edges, but it has solid edges, right? Like they don't, they don't see the vulnerable flesh of the bicyclist. They just see the opaque oh. fairing mm. of the Velmobile. That's interesting. No, I've never used one of those things. Oh, I love it. It's wow, it's what a strange looking right. vehicle. I'm I'm looking at it right now, and it, yeah, I can see why it's kind of confusing. This there is, we go. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, I'd be uh like not near that thing either. Get away from that thing! Like what the fuck? Oh, Giant semen. Yeah. That's yeah, a suppository. Uh, exactly. It has no. red dots all over it now, though. I put red. Drive away red from dots. it as oh. much as possible. So now it looks like it has a contagious disease as well. So you'll stay even mm. farther away. We do, we do have a comment earlier on. By the way, we do have a comment from, I don't know if this is a, a fan of yours, Fra Fragile Sandy, who says, let Nina talk. I don't know if you know who Fragile Sandy is. I don't no? know who Fragile Sandy is, but I do have to say that if you, if you go back into this podcast and analyze uh, like actual time, I would be curious if you timed how long the different speakers are speaking. Um, I think I, I mean, I go ahead and interrupt and I'm also the guest, so I feel entitled. If I weren't the guest, I would feel less entitled. But, no, I think this is, this is good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that Hotep Sophia didn't talk as much as some of the rest of you. Yeah, and this is, this is probably, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty common bias. So probably this is a woman watching it noticing that men are speaking more than women. Although I am speaking a lot, but I do feel entitled because I'm your goddamn special guest. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, so, Sophia, oh, what do you boy. think? Uh, don't worry about me. I always talk too much, so. No, no, you're, no, no, we're not no in the streams, I always, didn't somebody just complain about my random tangents? Everyone no, fucking does it. Forget, forget, forget. Everyone does point. it. Everybody does yeah. it. Oh. No, my it's point, the monologues. I mean, look my, at me, my God. Hmm. No, my point, Hotep Sophia, is that they're perceiving you as talking like three times more than you're actually talking. So what I want them to do is analyze, is actually measure how many minutes each one of us talked. Um, and, and that the, the perception <laughs> of you, like because they, uh, they're going to perceive you talking more than you're actually talking because you're a woman. Yeah, that's... But that's common. I mean, men. It, if you say ten extra words, a man is like, "Why are you still talking? Like, you should be mm -hmm. done." With it. <laughs> no, I mean, my boyfriend does this all the time. I'm like talking about oh. something. He's like, "You're still talking about that," and I'm like, "What do you mean? I didn't even finish my sentence." Like, well, usually it's food. So he's like, "Why are you still talking about food?" I'm like, "Because I'm telling you about." <laughs> This kind of butter versus that kind of butter. <laughs> no! in the process of making the butter. So this is like, I mean, but but in my own defense, everyone does that to me because people don't even understand what I'm talking about. So if I'm having a conversation, they're like, you made a connection I, I didn't make. What do you, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I have, usually I just try and trim it down into like one sentence, uh, sentences with no follow-up. So that way people can come back to me and like, like my mom did this. She's like, oh, I remember one time you used to talk about water. I'm like, yeah, because like the water in our county is like recycled water. It's completely disgusting. And so I started drinking this pH water. Anyway, so I was like, yeah, you guys got to drink better water. So it comes back to me like four years later. I remember you saying that about water. I'm like, this was four years ago. Like, 
now you just like thinking about the fact that our water is like recycled even though we're right beside the water makes no sense but so i I don't. I thought it was just a me problem. I didn't realize it was a female problem. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, something Patrice O'Neill, the comedian Patrice O'Neill, talked about a lot. How when it comes to the uh, dating dynamics, what women get a lot from the relationship isn't so much the sex as it is like the sex to them is the conversation, and it is the time that the guy is devoting to listening to women during the conversation, that there is a satisfaction that women uh, would have from that kind of experience. I don't know, like, uh, would you agree, Hotep Sophia, or... Uh... If the man is interested, but if they're not interested in what I have to say, then it's probably not quite as helpful uh, to... I mean, I get, it, it depends on what type of person you're dealing with, too, because as an educated woman, most of the guys I've talked to are lopsided as far as education is concerned. So if I'm talking about, like, something school-related, they'll have no idea what I'm talking about. It's just a total waste of time. So you're better off at least finding someone who is coherent uh, and can make coherent statements and can at least wrap their head around what you're saying as opposed to having a whole gigantic conversation with you about it because that's I think that's I think women also expect too much especially when you're in lopsided relationships where you have more education than your partner they don't know what you're talking about and they really don't care and it's really like ignorant of you to try and make them care about like some nuanced thing that you're talking about that that they don't ever have to experience so I think that's like sort of a, a, a problem because so many more women are educated now, they just expect people to know what they're talking about. And I know no one knows what I'm talking about at all, ever. So I can just approach well, it from that. I'd also say when you're saying educated women, I'd say, Sophia, you are more than educated. You're actually wise and you have common sense within you. Unlike, uh, you know, people in general who get educated, but just because you're educated, I don't think that makes you any, you know, any, any wiser. Than, yeah, but than like my else. OG doesn't even have like his diploma. You know what I mean? Like he's not educated. So when he, OG? Uh, my boyfriend, I call him like, anyway, my boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know what OG, OG stands for. Uh, original gangster because oh. <laughs> so um yeah he doesn't he, he's i mean he's smart he knows a lot more than me on a lot of stuff but it's like it's just i mean a lot of people they can't put themselves in these type of situations because they want to be able to talk about the same things and i don't care he doesn't care about food or business or any of the stuff that i care about but He'll listen, he'll ask questions, but do I expect him to like go out and read the books that I read or be remotely interested in the stuff that I mean? No, that's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, but I'm realistic. Like a lot, like I said, a lot of people who are educated, they just don't have the realistic expectations of how to deal with people. And I do think that has to do with dealing with so many, especially my generation, so many internet interactions, because when you deal with people on the internet, you're able to sort out people who would uh, ordinarily, you wouldn't come into contact with them. You know, you're able to just find your little niche group and stay in your little group as opposed to in real life, 
uh, you would have to sort of deal with the normies that are around you. But with the internet, like they have like black Twitter, you could go seek out black Twitter and then you never have to leave black Twitter. You know what I mean? You just get, or, or Caliac, you get involved with these little, especially the small accounts and people are just running their mouth all day. You never have to actually interact with people who are not like you and they don't have your level of, of understanding they, or interest. And then they create parasocial relationships towards bigger accounts and yeah. And then you Channies have the <laughs> carrier pigeons. Yeah, there are all these terminologies now, Nina, when it comes to the people who would kind of serve these bigger fish live streamers. Carrier pigeons would be like, how, how would you describe carrier pigeons, Gio? Uh, a Jenny that carries messages between people when it's not advantageous for the uh, e-celebrity cult of personality to be seen contacting certain people or groups. So That feels like a very advanced terminology that only like five people use, the carrier pigeon thing. Is that a common term? <laughs> well, no, carrier pigeon is an older thing from the mafia days as well. Yeah. These okay. carrier pigeons always send messages to, uh, yeah. I know yeah. more about flying monkeys. <laughs> mm, that's, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Wizard of... Yeah, Wizard of Oz is nice. But uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, uh, we have a question over here from uh, Sandy. Ask Nina about her film in progress called Uterus. Uterus, yes, Uterus. Uterus. So that's, that's one of, uh, that, that is a project that I started and didn't finish. I, for the first time in my life, I have not been finishing projects. And that's, that's not like me. I don't know what's going on, but um, I had this whole vision for a film. I started working on it. It's about, you know, a woman's relationship with her uterus and it tormenting her until she gets rid of it. Because again, since my uterus was removed a couple years ago, I have been, it's been like, this is great. Like, you know, I spent my whole life with this fucking uterus and I hated it. And it oh my God. It, Degenerate. Uh, so I, <laughs> I, uh, I was making a movie about that, but I didn't finish it, but I should, I would like to. And then I started another movie <laughs> about the apocalypse, literally the apocalypse, the book of revelation. I started that this year when the pandemic was new and things felt really apocalyptic. And I did some lovely animation for that too. And I also didn't finish it. I will say I finally finished something this year. I made a music video for a, a European pop star, but she is not releasing that video until probably January. So it's, it's under wraps until that goes out. But at least I freaking finished something. Uh, and then I have these unfinished projects and um, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with my muse, but they're not finished. And it's too bad because I think about, it's like, yeah, I'd like to see this uterus film. I have a problem with making films that, I mean, I stopped doing because it's like, oh, what if it's not good? I made it, I started it in a different way. Most of my movies start with music and this one didn't start with music. And I was like, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have music to animate to. And that was part of the challenge I set up for myself. And I, in a cowardly fashion, just didn't do it because I'm scared of making something that's bad. And that's, that's not good. That's not a good trade at all. I should just go ahead and embrace it and go like, okay, I'm gonna make bad film. It's okay if it's bad. But your, uh, your work I is really incredible. Issues. Like all the styles that you employ. That's another thing, by the way, for those who have not seen Nina Paley's uh, work, 
you employ like the style in Cedar Sings the Blues, as well as like you could say the goat that you have in the uh, Seder Masochism of uh, Lade Reiniger, who did uh, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which I well, think and was, there like, were the there first... were shadow puppets before Lade Reiniger too. Sure. She was based yeah. on shadow puppets. And it's a, it's a very beautiful side as well as the uh, more, uh, you know, uh, painterly stuff from Sita Sings the Blues. Like I put that Hanuman. I really love that Hanuman painting that you did uh, holding up the staff and, uh, you know, and the cartoon style as well, which is kind of like R. Crumb-ish. I don't know, like what the best way to describe it is. But you put all of these different styles together and they co they, they work together really well. And like when it comes to... Uh, the new films that you're making do you want to keep doing a mix of these different styles do you want to add anything else like do you want to experiment more with different kinds of animation mediums ah well uterus is a different style but it's one that people might not like you know it's not pretty uh it just seemed appropriate yeah i mean i i use different styles for different things sure yeah i keep doing that I mean, I, and then there's even another project that I started that I might not finish, um, which is what I'm working on now in the research stage, which is a movie about recumbent bicycles. Nice. I like that uh, Tim and Eric sketch called Corbs. I don't know if you're a Tim and Eric fan. Are you, Nina? No? Uh, I'm not. I may not have heard of it, but I don't really see it. But Corbs? What? Corbs. So it's cops on recumbent bicycles. <laughs> Corbs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so I'll, I'll i'll send you the video i don't even yeah. know i don't even know if i should spoil spoil it for you but it's like they're on these bikes they're like helping these girls learn to play tennis or whatever then they get called because they have to like get, go into this drug bust that the mexican mafia or whatever don't give it away like, no no okay. stop i should, okay. I should watch okay. it that's awesome okay. it's so watch hard it. to find any depiction of recumbent bikes in culture but whenever whenever they are depicted <laughs> they're their image is not good. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What, so, you mentioned so, Robert Crumb. Do you, is he an influence on you? Crumb? I like Robert Crumb, yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I would say, oh, I would say Crumb, he's an early oh, influence. I feel, yeah, it's kind of weird, like, how he was, like, at one point, um, he was another, like, canceled figure for a, mm. a little bit, but... And he you lived know, through the 60s. Like, he lived through the whole yeah. sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. Kind of like Nina. You he was resentful the, uh... that he wasn't a hippie, but that's, yeah. I, I didn't make, I wasn't a good hippie either. So, yeah, Crumb, the thing is, no matter, you know, like, no matter the content of his art, and, and there's legit criticism of it as some of it being genuinely misogynistic, mm -hmm. but even that stuff. Or racist, even, like, <laughs> uh. Well, no, like but his, but the, I, <laughs> except that I always that was always such satire, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It was yeah. always with the with the race stuff. It was always clear that he was on like another level, and he was satirizing something. But yeah. the woman thing, it wasn't like a Wyatt man like posting, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. And his his stuff has been very like he did he did a really satirical piece called "When Jews Take Over America," oh uh, boy, which which was pure satire, right? Mm, but it satire. was but it was <laughs> <laughs> it was seized by these uh, white, white supremacists who didn't realize it was satire and then Crumb got in all this trouble because satire is very difficult for people. <laughs> 
they really don't, <laughs> they really don't get it. But anyway, I think he was always being very satirical regarding race, but less so regarding sex, which I think he acknowledged, right? Because he did all these comics, you know, yeah. like, you know, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really fucked up attitude towards women. Like he, he has, again, he loves, he has a paraphilia towards like the, the, the longhouse mother fertility goddess body amazonian like and the, the way, big thighs and the way and he shoes. depicts them like, he yeah. even he even does comics about a shoe fetish which is interesting yeah. but anyway regardless of the content oh. his drawings are just so beautiful and i just is one of those things where it's like no matter what um you know i had a i had a feminist cartoonist friend who was like his arch enemy in a way or his arch frenemy but no matter what <laughs> No matter what she said about it, I was like, what those just drawings look they look so great. It's like <laughs> Yeah. I remember That's in the fun. documentary he, they interviewed um one of my well one of my favorite art critics, uh Robert Hughes, and he said he was like the Bruegel and the Goya of our time, which is true. And it's funny how they interviewed his um his former, I think it was his girlfriend, but then she was his ex-wife. And she was talking about how her body was similar to the the ones that he depicts and how she became a cartoonist and she was, um, you know, influenced by that. And it was really weird. I don't think you mean his ex-wife. I think you mean his wife. You mean Aileen Kaminsky Crumb. No, 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 no. His His ex-wife was also a cartoonist? Yes. Yeah. She became a cartoonist and she did like that um, 70s, 80s, like um, feminist, like I'm exploring my body sort of cartooning and so she was saying how weird it was that crumb could fetishistically render almost seamlessly that type of figure and it was interesting to look at the gaze in such an intense way through his work like the way he he um every character like every female character of his is imbued with that like same sense almost like I would say almost groging, uh, verging on the grotesque, but not really the way he does it. It's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily misogynistic because these women have incredible power over him. It's almost like a dom, femdom sort of thing. Which actually is, that's the thing. Like it, it kind of is, but anyways, it's like. But then that itself opens up the discussion to, is that sort of approach to femininity in itself another product of um, a masculine sort of conquering? Because now it's like the, the feminine becomes what um, what Paglia called the female transvestite in, in sexual persona, where dominatrixes, they take on this, or femdom, they take on these masculine traits and it's still a degradation of the feminine, but it's like this weird like back alley sort of uh approach to the masculine conquering the feminine because now the feminine takes on the the characteristic of the masculine and it's not healthy for anyone uh and of course you know Pagni she's researching Desaad and and uh Juliet and his novels and things like that so it's really interesting how nowadays um you still have this discourse where you know feminist discourse is basically trying to turn women into men and competing like the girl, like the, you know, corporate girl boss feminism is like now women are competing in the world of men. And it's like, it's really interesting how that became the predominant feminist discourse, not something else. I don't know. It's real. I'm just, I'm just 
my brain turns to mush after three hours, so it's just yeah. Like, I know I'm getting, like I'm getting a little tired yes. too. I should probably. Uh, well, guys, before before we go, I do want to go to uh, last uh, last comments, last statements. But I also first want to thank Nina Paley for being here with us and for talking with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is just so so amazing that you were uh, that you were willing to give your time to this uh, to this conversation. And uh, I would be very interested in uh, just what you thought in general of this because I don't know if you've been to a stream like this before and uh, what no. what the dynamics felt like for you. Oh, this is great. Um, I'm like, okay, uh, the the kids are the kids are the kids are all right. Uh, <laughs> the kids are alt right. <laughs> oh god. Oh dang. I'm kidding. The alt right is dead. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I mean, but again, it's like it's not, it's a pushback. Not all of you. It's it's uh, yeah. It's it's nice. It's like I uh, certainly it's a it's a diversity of thought that I don't see very often. Yeah. Um, I mean, what with having a, a counter Semite and everything, <laughs> yeah. like I'm never gonna live this down. I'm also going like, wow, uh, this just participating in here is is gonna be used against me a lot. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Well, see, what we're trying to do right now is when we actually have people in here who are like, as you said, like counter Semites and all that kind of stuff. What's important for me is that dialogue is not squashed. We're able to actually have it right in front of everybody else, right in front of the public. And to really be able to figure out here, what are some of the things that I think historically my perspective on is that they've been pushed so much on people as this is forbidden you must not talk about a b and c and as yeah. a result i think people go into their small circle and it ferments over time and it does result in a uh, in a pushback that if things get really bad like if things get to the extent that uh, you know like things are going on in south africa right now as far as the white farmers there like if things get that bad here in america as far as the way that the politics go then there is going to be a pushback and when that pushback happens, my biggest concern is that people who are, regardless of whether they're Jewish or black or whatever, like people who have nothing but good things to want to offer to our world, to our civilization, that they are going to be lumped in with the ultra left who do want to only destroy and uh, they show their themselves as being these paragons of virtue. Meanwhile, all they're doing is destroying. And I really hate, like I said before, these groups of people being lumped in together as this monolith, whether we're talking about black people or Jewish people yeah. or whatever. Like, let's judge people based on the things that they say. Like, I don't know if this is going to have an effect on everybody who's listening, but I already know it has had a tremendous effect on people who... Uh, Get, got back to me and told me that like they didn't even know that many Jewish people before and like they only got their information about the Jews from going to 4chan or whatever and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean like because of Imagine that. that yes oh. and and what do they get in response oh. whenever whenever they would offer like more milk toast versions of whatever they were talking about on 4chan into the public sphere what do they get they get instant you know you are a racist bigot anti-semite whatever there right. is no opportunity at all right. for these people to be able to have a dialogue like we're having right now yeah, but, and but just be able to dissect things 
the, the South African farmers, that's a white supremacist conspiracy. Don't you know that? There's there's no farmers, white farmers being killed in South right. Africa. Didn't you, didn't you know so, that? So anyways, that's besides, that's besides the point. So Lev, I, you're, you remind me a bit of my friend Alex Gleason, whose website is gleasonator.com, which is part of the Fediverse. So if you want to start exploring the Fediverse, make yourself an account at gleasonator.com. And because... Uh, because Alex is, he's saying the same things and he, God, people hate him. Um, I mean, not, not everybody hates him. Uh, I think he's awesome. But, uh, you know, for even talking to people, they hate him for talking to people and for saying that it's actually okay to talk to people. And uh, yeah, so, um, you know, check that out, check them out. But uh, this overall is making me quite hopeful. And uh, it's also really enjoyable to talk to people that are not saying exactly the same things that I've heard before and that are actually engaging and thinking and uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's been, it's been really fun. If it hadn't been this fun, I wouldn't have hung around this long. I'm really surprised by how long I have hung around, but this is know. I'm, I'm really, really thankful for that. And you know what? I think we do have to kind of burn the ships in the, uh, you know, that we came in here. You know, like I'm also from the New York animation community. And I am uh, still, still I am the chair. Somehow. Of the, somehow of <laughs> the Art and Technology Committee at the National Arts Club in Gramercy Park. While I'm doing all this, uh, all this stuff. And I think the reason is because I do believe in a way sort of in fate. In us being put into a position where we are able to bring people together in such a way and uh, engage people who otherwise would never think of engaging with somebody, uh, you know, who has uh, a lot of these much more, let's say, extreme viewpoints. And the more we do this, we're all, look, we're all already canceled when it comes to the lunatics running the asylum. We're already canceled for them. So let's not worry about them. Instead, let's gather together all the rogue elites or whatever you want to call it, all the people who actually have money and are tired of a lot of this extremism and may be willing to put their money uh, where, uh, you know, where they think uh, the future ought to be. And I think it is with Break the Rules. And I think it is with Nina Paley. And I think it is with all the people who are willing to have conversations with people they may, ne may not necessarily agree with for the sake of expanding the dialogue. And with that, I want to say again, all the people who are watching this right now, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe right now. Subscribe, subscribe, and subscribe, and click the bell. And also share with us with all your friends. We got to expand. Yep. We got to keep growing. And it is a great pleasure to be here. And with by the, the way, Nina Paley and everybody else. Yes. And by the way, the chat. There's next level geo posting in the chat. I can't believe oh, this. this is amazing. Nice. Let's see. Geo is a stream of consciousness. Geology, geo jitsu, geo is the left hand of nature. The, my favorite one by Schizo Rec. Geo is an anthropomorphized Easter Island statue. <laughs> 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 I kind of do look like an Easter Island statue. Oh man! But this has been a great stream. I, I feel yes. like we didn't. Yes. But but to our detractors though from last week, I feel like we didn't bully women enough in this uh, stream. Yeah, that's so, true. We, that's, been we didn't enough. bully women enough. So Hotep yeah. Sophia. Nina, uh, I'm sorry. We we should have cranked up the women hate a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, took the energy Martin from K the Jew hate to the woman hate. So <laughs> Martin, <laughs> Martin K. Martin K. has a good comment. Martin K. says uh, she by she he means Nina. She's a trooper and have a new fan in me. He's from Norway, by the way. 
very very beautiful place Good. up there. Hope hope we can all visit there. Hang out with Shabana and uh, Martin and uh, her dogs. I think that'll be a that'll be a good time. So anyway, with that being said, go to Patreon.com/slash/BreakTheRules <laughs> right now. Here is the link, and uh, here are the rewards. Fifty dollar patrons, we get all the rewards. By the way, mm-hmm. yes, all the rewards go to the fifty dollar patrons. Oh, this thing apparently I have to click in the properties and make sure it actually loops because it was not looping before. This is what happens when you put in a new instance into OBS. But anyway, here it is. You could see $20 tier reward. My father's very beautiful, exquisite magnets made out of wood. $30 tier reward. Giovanni Penichetti's beautiful prints. Look at him in action. And $50 custom reward and all of the above as well. And the